It's Friday, December 17th, 2021, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Manrubs. You can find them at manrubs.com and on Instagram at manrubs. Rubs barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, all-around barbecue-related gear. Use the code STEAK15 in order to make barbecue great again. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear, stayreadygear.com, and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom Kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear. You need something custom? They will melt something up for you and get it in the mail. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. Christmas is just a week away. Have you been naughty? Yes. Or nice? That too. Mike Lindell doesn't care. MyPillow.com right now has its largest sale of the season. You could save even more than 66% off their over 600 MyPillow products. Damn! Using promo code STEAK at checkout. Visit the website at MyPillow.com forward slash steak or talk to a MyPillow representative about MyPillow products or election integrity at 1-800-658-8045. The world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording gear can be found at odyssey.com. We've coined it as the top tier ear gear. Headphones that produce angelic sounds whether you're potting gaming have five on it or in studio recording check out odyssey.com they're on facebook they're on instagram mike has been servicing southern california for over a decade he's got a five-star rating he's a licensed ffl and he is the man behind west coast survival arms find them on facebook messengers to get all your pew pews Via the telephone at 619-870-6992 or at westcoastsurvivalarms.com. First responders working hard during this holiday season. Probably too many people had five on it and they're getting into accidents on the freeway. Yeah. When they're off duty, they're wearing t-shirts, sweatshirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more from MediocreMedic.com. And while they're on duty, hopefully they're not on their phones checking out the IG, but they are... Using those stickers and patches on their everyday gear and on the outside of their cruisers. Check out Mediocre Medic on Instagram. And last but not least, Dumpbox. Home of the Zero Fucks Duck. So far we've got Santa Duck. We've got Home Alone Duck for the holiday season. Grinch Duck's up next. If you don't know, get on Facebook, get in the group, get in the drop, find them on Instagram. Dumpbox.us. Friends, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, our website, the Telegram, and more. And on that note, welcome 
Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 91. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joining us today. Guys. Dusty's here as well. Nothing? Nope. Hmm. Only, only in opportune moments. Thanks for joining us, friends. How's everybody doing today? Good, good. We've got it. Weekend. Yeah, we've got an action-packed slate of guests, but before we do that, we're going to get into the news. This week we saw a continuation of the crumbling of the January 6th narrative. Um, so crumbly. Very crumbly. There were there were some big developments happening when some of the subpoenaed texts from... Not even good crumbles, like bacon crumbles. Those are the ones that Jerry Nadler eats before he edits the texts and then releases them to the media. Oh, there you go. Well, spoiler alert, there's some of the, the news, and we'll get to that in a bit, but Matt Gate jumps on with uh, on Newsmax this week to talk about, uh, you know, some of those lessons that they're learning from seeing the Democrats in complete control of all branches of the government and moving forward, how this needs to be a timestamp that the Republicans are going to need moving forward to remember. Let's hear what he had to say uh, in this clip. A uniparty in Washington, D.C. It has members that call themselves both Republicans and Democrats, but they pave the way for this spending that fuels the special interests and fuels the lobby corps principally. And so you played a clip from a press conference where I, I laid out a different vision for Republican leadership in Congress, not a, a version of Republican control that has us coddling Democrats or working with them on trains and bridges and whatever they're calling infrastructure this week, but instead holds this regime accountable. Our health care committees should be conducting oversight on NIH and Dr. Fauci. Our Judiciary Committee should be conducting oversight over the Department of Justice when they want to put terrorism labels on parents. Yep. We should have our Education Committee looking at the corrupt Biden Center that existed at the University of Pennsylvania. In almost every committee, there is a legitimate investigation that needs to begin, but Republicans have to commit ourselves to actually engaging those investigations because you saw, Chris, you've been very critical. The last time Republicans had unified control of the government, we failed to meet the promises that we made to people regarding repealing Obamacare, and that's why we got thrown out and Nancy Pelosi got put back in power. We have to learn from that lesson, and I need backup in Congress to execute on that vision. Mm-hmm. No lies detected. Yeah. So, and you, you think a lot of the rhino Republicans there and the, and the never Trumpers that wound up, you know, not getting Obamacare repealed and uh, only offering to lower taxes like most Republican Congresses do. I think moving forward, we've kind of heard. It's been a joke with some of the candidates we've had on. Those days are over, and uh, the time to really start making moves is going to be after the midterms when uh, hopefully we get a supermajority. We're up to 20 Democrat seats right now. I don't know if you guys have heard that are that are going to be vacant moving into wow. the midterms. Yeah, they're either retiring, not running for re-election, or moving to an easier seat after uh, redistricting. Or moving to whatever company that they were uh, secretly assisting true story um but that's more than four times what needs to happen just to get a simple majority back and based off a lot of these candidates that are coming down the pike right now we're not going to have a simple majority i mean i'd like to get those hundred seats like steve bannon says but that truth's yet to be told let's hear what jim jordan uh kind of got into on fox this week he jumped on with i believe hannity boomer sweats alert and was kind of talking about how uh, there were some revelations that some of the texts 
the screen graphics that were released to the media this week were altered by, you never guess, Adam Schiff. Shifty Shift again. No, yeah. he wouldn't do that. Like he did in both impeachment trials uh, and, and with a whole bunch of the narrative. do that yeah. and think that we wouldn't find out, like, well, and well, nobody would find out. Do you think his eyes bug out more when he's concentrating on editing things like that? I mean, I couldn't imagine being Mark Meadows and turning these over and then going and watching, like, MSNBC and seeing a full-screen fucking graphic of a, you know, uh, like um what is it called? Like an image of your screen that they, you know, and, and the words don't match what's literally on your phone that you gave them. Exactly. What? <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where. Oh, did he? He should have screenshotted it and put it like out, like on YouTube or I mean. Yeah, they Twitter. should do it like side by side and be like, yeah, I guess this is what this idiot's doing. Uh, yeah, I'm like, uh, I don't remember saying this or. Well, I, I, I do hope that either that evidence will be thrown out or if they want to present it like they did in the second impeachment trial, they literally took those doctor tweets after it was all over the news that they doctored them and still tried to present them. It was only doctor a little bit. So then but they had the girl who. That? Isn't that illegal in some sort of capacity? What do you mean, like lying under oath in a congressional committee? I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> no big deal. Let's hear what Jim Jordan said when he... Everybody he got, does it. He got all boomer sweated up. You and Jim Banks were kicked off this committee to investigate what happened on January 6th. Why were you, were you given a reason why? No, they just... I think the reason is what you just said, Sean, because this is totally partisan. Uh, understand this, Sean. Today, after Sean Davis's story... Here's what the select committee said. The select committee is responsible for and regrets the air. You know what that is, Sean? That is a government speak. That is a fancy way of saying we got caught. We got caught lying. We got caught altering a document. And here's the scary thing. This is a pattern with these guys. Ten years ago was the IRS targeting conservatives. Five yep. years ago, they said they weaponized the Department of Justice, went to the FISA court, lied to the FISA court, altered a document in front of the FISA court so they could spy on President Trump's campaign. And guess what? Two months ago, we caught them doing what? Going after moms and dads at school board meeting using the power of the Justice Department and the counterterrorism division at the FBI. And now this, all because of their, their lust for power and their, their, their intensity for going after President Trump because they're afraid he's going to run and they know he's going to win if he does. That, that, that is what is so sick about all this. And it got to the worst point yesterday where they try to put a good man in prison and hold him in contempt. It, it, is, it, it is disgusting. I love Jim Jordan, man. Yeah, he's working real hard, and it's like Groundhog Day with these with these assholes. Yeah. The way that you know, every time, I don't know if they think they're going to get away with it or or what, but I mean, they're just desperate. They're, I mean, what else do they have but to lie and to just keep delay, delay, delay the inevitable? You know. Well, they keep doing it, and I mean, as of now, nothing really bad ever happens to them for it. So why would they not just continue to do you know business as usual? Yeah. Well, our favorite happening on behind the scenes and stuff you know oh yeah because i feel like the, the more that they do this shit so brazenly i feel like the walls are closing in on them well there's a level of desperation behind yeah. everything that they're doing now because it's like they you done and fucked why? up aaron and people are gonna finally come to terms with it yeah there's there's been a well, lot yeah, and if, if you wonder like if you see like people are waking up and more and more they do this shit too and once you've got the majority of the people fucking pissed off I mean, it's over for these people. Like, yeah, they're they're in total burn it down right now. And and the sad part is for the casual politics follower, they might not see the redaction or correction on the story of the tweets. They might hear Joy Reid talk about the doctored ones and then take that to work the next day and spread it like wildfire. And that's where those false narratives, like things with like Russiagate and stuff come from. 
Um, yes. I mean, imagine so like imagine I, I heard somebody talking about that uh, not too long ago about how Trump colluded with Russia. They they still did not get the memo that it was all a lie. Well, it's that's just that's two plus two is four. It's you know keep repeating the same thing until in the minds of the general public it becomes true. Which, yeah. I mean, well, yeah, no, but if you look like, at the brainwashing that's yeah. happened to you know people that you talk to on a regular basis, like they're one hundred percent just repeating these taglines and talking yeah. points like it's true. And it's just like, what? Like, you like realize you're going through a script right now. Yeah. And you but don't I even feel know like it. People are still stuck in 2016, 17. <clears throat> I'm like, what the hell? Where have you been? Well, anytime <laughs> they try to separate themselves from thing like 2016, you have Hillary Clinton coming back into the news cycle. Like she has been for the past couple of weeks. And it just brings up those memories and all those things that, yeah. you know, she, right, she attaches right. Donald Trump to, uh, Kevin Cork, jumped on our favorite paid op, Tucky, same night to kind of break down a little bit more with less screaming than Jim Jordan did, just exactly the severity of those, you know, Dr. Tex. Let's hear what they had to chat about. Evening, Tucker. Very interesting story indeed. Now, you no doubt heard the expression, once is an accident, twice is a coincidence, and three times is a pattern or a habit. Well, based on that, critics would argue it would appear that California Congressman Adam Schiff has a habit of misleading the American people. Very interesting story indeed. He has previously been accused of leaking fake Donald Trump Jr. emails and fabricating the transcript of a 2019 phone call between then-President Trump and Ukraine's president. And, of course, we all heard about his claim to have seen evidence of collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians. That wasn't true either. Well, on Monday, according to The Federalist, Schiff doctored text messages mm. between former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and Congressman Jim Jordan during the January 6th hearings. If we could cue the first graphic. This one reads, on January 6, 2021, Vice President Mike Pence, as President of the Senate, should call out all electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional as no electoral votes at all. You can see why this is so critical to ask Mr. Meadows about. That is not an actual text message. The Federalist goes on to say not only did Schiff misrepresent the substance of that text and its source, it was significantly longer in original form than what Schiff read and put on the screen. To say nothing of the fact that he added punctuation where there was none to hmm. give the impression that Jordan himself tersely directed Meadows to give Pence an order. Now, the committee said in a statement tonight, Tucker, the graphic had, quote, been reformatted, adding the period that came with the sentence in question was added inadvertently, and that the select committee regrets the errors. Tucker? Oh, too late. <laughs> too late. And it's true. But, you yeah. know, like I said, when you see Adam Shift on one of the shows on the other legacy networks, he's got the graphic behind him, and he's reading it how he wants to punctuate it. You know, it makes it sound like Kevin Cork says, worse than it was and, and, and with more directive, like Jim Jordan was ordering Mark Meadows to order Mike Pence to do something or vice versa. So we have clearly seen over just those few brief clips what exactly is exposed here. And this is, again, the deep state machine running strong. Um, someone who I'm not a fan of, but usually when it's relevant, we throw it on. Joe Rogan was talking about how deep the deep state is this week and mentioned things like Russiagate. I pulled a 
brief clip from it because I think it's relevant to the rest of this because it just shows that, you know, they can create their own narratives and completely lie and then just run with it and act like it never happened, consequence-free. Let's hear what he said about, you know, something along those lines right now when he weighed in on it. Years, the American public was getting beat down with the Russia collusion thing. And it wasn't real. And it was it was created. Yeah. It was created yeah. by the Democratic Party. Maybe that's not the exact thing, but it was created by, the, by people that were insiders yeah. in the Democratic Party. Yeah, and no one's being held accountable. No one's going to jail for it. But they were trying to literally impeach Trump for some shit that they made up. But it's, look, Trump's not a perfect guy. This is not a pro-Trump speech. I think it's safe to say Trump is not a perfect, not a perfect guy. guy. But this fucking, this, this thing that he kept saying about the deep state, it's real. Yeah. It's 100% real. They, the, the, the swamp is real. The swamp is definitely They're real. They're fucking real monsters, and they were really trying to get rid of them by lying. Like, they were not spending their time trying to make the government work efficiently and make the country a better place for everyone and prop up the middle class. No. They were trying to regain power, and they got it with a dead man. They got a dead man running. That, was that dead man they're talking about is Joe Biden. No. <laughs> he's not dead. <laughs> he's just mostly dead. You know, I love. I'm glad that you know Joe is being more vocal about this instead of towing the line like he usually. Well, they fucked up when they started shitting on him about uh, his COVID yeah, recovery. That's when he he's was like, like "Okay, uh, uh, no, yeah." He's like, "Oh yeah, you want to fuck with me? Okay, You're I'm going to start." Paint me green, motherfuckers. <laughs> but then he, I, he, I love how he has to say this is not a, tr- a pro-Trump speech, you know, because he has to. Like, yeah, he's got to throw the caveat in there. Yeah, has to every time, but. Still kudos to him. And yeah, I mean, it, it's true. I mean, I'm glad he's saying it because his his audience, obviously, all sorts of people listen to him, you right. know, and and it's if that's getting out there and they take like what he says at that, val- you know, for value. It mobilizes a whole lot more people. Well, and he's and he's got a he's got a, an advantage where, you know, he's he's to the point where he doesn't care if he loses followers. Mm-hmm. But at the same time. Yeah, maybe he's going to lose a small fringe people like who he mentioned Donald Trump. I can't ever listen to him again because there are psychos out there that are like that. But at the same time, the gains. Yeah, he. I don't think he even gives a fuck about that. No, no, but but he's still like regardless. There's a different group of people who are listening to his show that wouldn't normally be exposed to this stuff, and it's good. It's Um, good for us. It's good for society. Exactly, because like when they like a lot of people. But till not even like up until recently, up until like the whole COVID bullshit and um, the 2020 election, people thought the deep state was literally like a conspiracy theory. You know, he 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 addressed it. He's like, there is a deep state. The sw- there is a swamp. These people are fucking dirty. Yeah. You know, so that's a good thing. It's going mainstream. People are realizing. Well, it's like art imitates life and like you don't make movies about all this stuff about these, you know, people getting murdered and like all this crazy shit. And it's like, where do you think this comes from? Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, you've got CIA people on movie sets consulting, like literally like it's come on, guys, like people. Hello. You know, we had had Amanda Milius on last month and she said the CIA and the FBI are openly sharing classified documents with, you know, New York Times reporters just just to build news narratives. Yeah. You know, I, that reminds me of um, a story. I forgot the exact details, but, you know, Shia LaBeouf did a film. I forgot what it's called. Dang. But he had a consultant on and he's like, uh, he told him, he's like, yo, you want me to pull up a phone call you've had two and a half years ago and recorded? And he pulled it up and 
right just like right there he's like yeah here you go mm. i don't like that there's an app for that we hear you sure we see you <laughs> we can hear you breathing and he was like holy shit it was an interview i have to find it i'll send it what to do you think, what do i think the app's called like cia book <laughs> yeah it's like how, how fast did he pull it up or like did he have like a file ready just to like kind of show off to shiloh like like, like he's just got, fucking with but, him. Like this is like he's a this is a joke. This is off your answering machine. But really, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we hacked your your yeah. voicemail. <laughs> you have a you have an answering machine from 1983. That's why this happened. I I, d- I definitely do think though this whole narrative. I I think the January 6th thing. They probably told Adam Schiff you need to create a distraction because I behind think so too. Build Back Better was literally getting massacred on the. On the Senate floor. Like more distracting than watching his eyes almost bulge out of his head when he talks. And he's like, but everybody. Like he looks like he like smoked up a freaking crack pipe or something. I've never seen anybody like that before. He looks like one of the people that got like sucked out of the the complex and like total recall on Mars. You know what he looks like? You know that who framed (laughs) Roger Rabbit? He does look like the guy from Roger Rabbit, the judge. (laughs) The eyeballs pop out. Perfect. Well. It'll be interesting to see next week if we if we continue this narrative or now that they've moved on to the uh, voter integrity bill and, and ditch Bill Black better for now, are they just going to leave January 6th in the rear view until it's time to actually have hearings after the new year? Joining us first today on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, he's running for Congress in Michigan 3. He's been endorsed by President Trump. He recently served in the administration at HUD under Dr. Bed Carson, also a great friend of the show. Mr. John Gibbs, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast today. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate you taking some time to come down with us. We know the campaign can be a busy trail. And uh, why don't you give our listening audience a little update? Uh, introduce yourself, uh, kind of what's going on, what compelled you to run, and how the campaign's been treating you so far. Sure. Uh, my name is John Gibbs, as you guys introduced. Um, and I'm from uh, Michigan, born and raised. Uh, I left uh, Michigan after high school. I went out to Stanford to major in computer science. I was kind of a computer geek, so I wanted to be near Silicon Valley, so decided to head out west and do that. Um, after I graduated, I worked for a small startup company that made cybersecurity software. Okay. Uh, we got acquired, we got acquired by Symantec, became a part of Symantec. Oh, wow. Uh, by the way, our co-founder at the time was a high school dropout. One of the smartest guys I ever met. Hmm. He made tons of money from this deal. Uh, a very bright guy, but that's just the beauty of American uh, culture and our Silicon Valley innovation that we got to protect and why we're doing this in the first place. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so worked out there at Silicon Valley, uh, worked for Palm. If you remember like the Palm Trio or Palm Pilots okay. yeah, uh, back in the day. Yeah, I worked on that. That was kind of fun. Uh, so that was a cool, cool gig. Then I heard a rumor that Apple was going to make their own phone. And I said, what? Apple doesn't make phones. <laughs> so I uh, went to their website, uh, found out they were recruiting for uh, phone engineers, which is what I was doing at the time at Palm. So I threw in my application and uh, ended up getting a job. So I went over to work at Apple right before the first iPhone came out. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, it seems like a, so, yeah, a lot of... Uh, cre- that's getting it on the ground floor. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so I had like 10 of these iPhones in my office before they had come out, um, and I was writing test software on them. So it was kind of cool. Uh, Steve Jobs was pretty heavily involved in the process at that time, so it was uh, really neat to, to be able to see that come together and to be a part of that. Um, and then after that, I decided to do something a little bit different. I decided actually to uh, go to Japan and do some Christian missions work over there with an evangelical mission. Oh, wow. Um, the reason I did that is because in college, even though my major was computer science, I actually uh, studied Japanese on the side as well. And I also studied abroad in Japan. And so I had most of the language fluency uh, with me. So I wanted to use that. 
And then Japan, as it turns out, is less than 1% Christian, one of the least Christian countries in the world. So I kind of wanted to uh, be a part of doing something over there. So decided to uh, apply with a mission. You go through the process. It's a pretty long process um, for good reason. And then uh, they give you your budget and say, you know, for you as a single guy going to Japan, it's going to cost you, say, 90 grand a year. So go and raise the money. And once you hit 95%, you can buy your plane ticket. So I uh, went around and met with all my friends in different churches. And uh, God provided all the funding for that. Then ended up going to Japan uh, for missions, uh, which which was a pretty cool experience. Uh, one of the things I, I was involved in there that I really enjoyed the most was these things called Silicon Valley Nights, where a lot of Japanese guys don't want to come to a church necessarily, but they will come to hear about Silicon Valley business culture. Oh, there you go. And so because I can speak Japanese and do PowerPoint presentations in Japanese and whatnot, I would do those. And then the pastor and several church members would be out in the audience, kind of just making friends with the guys as a way of building bridges between the church and the community. Uh, so we found that was a pretty, pretty cool outreach that got lots of folks involved from the community. So that was good. Um, and then uh, we did some homeless ministries. And uh, over in Japan, the homeless are not quite as forward as they are here. Um, they tend to hide it in their in their cardboard boxes, which are very neatly arranged. They take off their shoes and they go in. It's quite a fascinating thing to observe. Hmm. So we kind of go and knock on each one and give them some food and talk to them a little bit. And then they kind of look up and look at me and say, what are you doing here? <laughs> Here's this black guy from America speaking Japanese to these homeless guys in Japan. So I kind of explained the, uh, the, the reasons and things to them. So that, that was kind of a, something very meaningful as well. But, you know, as I was in Japan, and this was when Obama was president, okay. I realized that if the government is making things worse, faster than the good guys are making things better, we're on a sinking boat. Yeah. So I said, I think I need to shift my focus here from missions in Japan to uh, public policy and government stuff uh, back home in America. So I decided to leave Japan and go and do my master's in public administration at Harvard Kennedy School. Wow. Hardcore conservative bashing over there, yeah. <laughs> as you might imagine. Not really, but um, I had a lot of fun mixing it up with the liberals over there. And, uh, uh, you know, they want to come up with the white liberals when I come up and talk about systematic racism, racism, this and that. And so I would say, so tell me about your experiences with racism. <laughs> I'm very curious because Got my, my parents are from Alabama. You know, they grew up during segregation. So I grew Ooh, up. Wow. About it. So tell me about your experiences. Yeah. So it was just a lot of fun to, uh, to get into that with them. But uh, so I, I uh, really enjoy that. And through that program, actually, I met someone who it turns out was one of Dr. Ben Carson's uh, uh, employees at the time. And so we became friends. And uh, when President Trump won and Dr. Carson was uh, uh, nominated for HUD director, uh, that friend called me one day and I said, dude, get me a job. And uh, he got me into the administration and I began in May of 2017 and was there all the way until the end. And uh, my most recent position at HUD under Dr. Carson was assistant secretary for uh, community planning and development. Uh, that's about $8 billion a year budget uh, that does homelessness as well as grants to states and uh, counties. And I started right when the coronavirus thing took off in March, 2020. So uh, about a week after I started, we got another 9 billion uh, from Congress, which is bigger than our whole annual uh, budget for uh, coronavirus relief. And it was quite wild because the congressmen were literally calling us saying, tell us what's in this bill. We want to know what's in it, even though they're the ones who wrote it and passed it. <laughs> and so literally myself and my staff are doing PowerPoints for the congressmen to tell them what was in the bill that they passed. So it's just one of those uh, D.C. stories about how this stuff works. It was 5,500 5, page bill, massive. Um, and it just, you know, who, who had the time to read that thing, let alone write it. So it was just just very bizarre. But that's the kind of dysfunction that you see in D.C., um, I was then nominated by President Trump to be director of the Office of Personnel Management, 
which is like the federal government's HR wing. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was a good process. We went as far as my um, uh, Senate uh, committee hearing, but uh, we had uh, Mitt Romney on my committee and he was uh, not going to put any Trump people through. So without him, it would have been a tie and I would not have made it through. So that stalled a bit, but still um, was a good experience uh, regardless. And uh, finally, uh, shortly before the end, uh, President Trump put me on the 1776 Commission. Wow, nice. uh, To combat this vile CRT uh, racist garbage that is being shoved down everyone's throats um, and just focus everybody back on what unites us, the Constitution, Declaration, uh, core American values uh, that everybody, no matter what the background, should be able to unify around. So um, that was kind of the story. And uh, after, after the administration ended, I took a little bit of a break. Then some friends from our former White House uh, asked me to uh, jump in and uh, take a, uh, a run against uh, Peter Meyer. And I said, let me think about it and pray about it. So uh, uh, after a while, I decided to do it and jump in. So here we are. And here you are, man. Wow, that's, a, that's well, quite the repertoire. <laughs> yeah, from from such humble roots and then using your, your talents and gifts to create ministries in a foreign land all the way up to not having to give PowerPoints in Japanese to some of the members of Congress. Uh, you know, it, it seems like it's been a whirlwind tour for you. And well, prob- they probably would have understood exactly the same amount if you would have done it in Japanese. True story. Um, but yeah, it sounds like you're just getting started and, and we're really thankful that someone like you jumped in the race. Uh, I, I want to, before we get into some of the issues I want to talk about, there is one thing we've had a lot of former administration officials on this show. Dr. Peter Navarro's come through, Cash Patel's come through, Amanda Milius, Ricky Lynn. There's been, you know, several people who's worked in the administration and uh, others who were close with Trump that have worked in all different, you know, parts of the government. Now, you're coming from HUD, and we just try to paint a picture for our audience because some of the stories we get are, are, are really compelling and eye-opening. You, you could make uh, speculation on it, but, but unless you hear it from the people who were really there— when you got to Washington, D.C. and really got into the Beltway, you, you had a couple positions within, you know, the offices you worked for. Um, tell me about that America First agenda during the Trump administration and how hard it was to get that stuff across just based off of the fact that there's so many people there who maybe at face value looked like they wanted to go along with it. But at the end of the day, we're just pushing up against it behind closed doors. You don't have to name names, but just maybe some of the experiences you may or may not have seen. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. Uh, you know, you get to D.C. and the administration, uh, you know, you want to dig in, uh, dive in and really get stuff done for the President Trump's agenda. But you learn uh, shortly that not everyone is on board. And I'm not even talking necessarily about the career workforce that's there over the long term. I even mean uh, some of the uh, political appointees, unfortunately, as well, although they were ostensibly on the same side as us. In reality, uh, we're not following the same agenda. So you start to run into that relatively quickly. And then what it ends up doing is uh, when you go into different meetings with folks, um, you will say, here's what the president wants. For example, work requirements. You know, you got to if you're getting a free housing from the government, free rent from the government and you're an able bodied adult, um, you've got to work for it. That's not because we're trying to be mean. We're trying to uplift the person and show them the dignity of work and put some money in their pocket so they can be up and out and on their way to wealth creation, not just keeping them on government benefits forever. Uh, that's a no brainer. And even a huge number of Democrats support that. But unfortunately, a lot of the institutional machinery doesn't want to make changes like that because they're afraid of the risk. They're afraid of being attacked by the media, et cetera. So it ends up getting bogged down um, and you end up uh, sometimes not getting anywhere. Um, so those are the kind of things that when you try to follow what the president said, I literally um, would print out tweets from the president sometimes and bring them to meetings and show them people saying <laughs> the president told us to do this, president told us to do that. Um, sometimes it worked. A lot of times it didn't, though. So. Uh, you see this you see this trend where a lot of Republicans that end up going to D.C. Um, have a, a fork in the role before them. And one is you stand up, you try to do what's right. 
if you do that, you're going to get attacked by the media like me. CNN's been attacking me since 2018, et cetera. Um, you're not going to get invited to some of the cocktail parties. Uh, if you get out, you're not necessarily going to get a huge high paying job with a lobbyist firm. Uh, so those are the risks you take if you want to stand up and try to do what's right. Uh, on the other hand, if you want to take the easy path, you kind of go with the flow, you go with the increased spending, you don't really make any big changes. Uh, you're going to set yourself up to get a really high paying gig afterwards. You're not going to get attacked by the media. You're going to get invited to all the parties and things. And uh, human nature being what it is, most people, I guess, are, are not fighters. Most people go with the flow, so they end up going with that flow. So you definitely see that phenomenon in D.C. And so when you're wrestling through these issues that the American people and President Trump wanted to get done, you do sometimes see a lot of resistance there mm -hmm. from folks that don't want to rock the boat. So, you know, during my entire 20-year uh, career, I, I had never raised my voice and yelled in a meeting until I came into the administration. Um, I was uh, uh, with a few folks who happened to be rhinos, and we were uh, talking about an issue, and I just really lost it uh, because uh, the resistance to make change on a certain issue we were working on. So it does get to you a little bit there, but you got to realize, you know, we're, we're, we're fighting a good fight. Uh, we got to keep the momentum going, uh, whether we win or lose. And I think that we are winning um, across the country. There's more momentum. Folks are getting involved more. So I think we just got to keep it up. But yeah, I mean, there's there's the environment there is just such that not a lot of people were truly on board with the Trump agenda. Yeah, those career politicians and, and a lot of those rhinos in the Republican Party especially are in for quite a surprise come the midterm elections this year. You just look at the early polling data that's starting to come out after these um, congressional seats have all been redistricted throughout the country and the favorability for Republicans is looking, you know, quite shocking. And it's not just saying Republicans anymore. Like we've had probably close to 20 America First candidates on this show so far, and every single one of them. I would say 99% have said, like, you want to know what? I just wanted to, like, live my life, own my business, raise my kids, retire here. I was a career military. I was a career business owner. And then I see all this stuff going on, the people representing me or not representing me. And, uh, you know, I, I just prayed on it, and I, I tried to get feedback from my community on it, on the things that really bother them. And it seems like all the stuff that's affecting where they live doesn't get done in the Beltway. And they said, you know what? That's it. The time for bipartisanship is over. The time for America first is now. It's the only way that this ship's going to get righted, in in my opinion, and a lot of opinions of the people that, you know, come on the show, come on. And uh, it's just one of those things. Now we're in a situation where we have such an amazing crop of candidates coming up that it just looks like we really might see a change in Washington, D.C. after the midterms like we've never seen before. So people that are, are going in, not as like the freshmen that aren't eligible for committees and, and you know, are going to be a little shy getting to know the waters. These people are going in and they're saying, like, I'm taking no prisoners. I, like, I'm calling these people out before I get to Washington, D.C. And I think that's the best part. You know, you've already been there. I, I would assume you'd be in the same place as well. And it just makes for a very promising future ahead. Yeah, I think so. I think this is really democracy at work. You know, when the system starts going in a certain direction where it starts to get off the rails, you want the people to stand up and demand change. Mm -hmm. And that is what happened in, in 2016 when, when the people elected Trump. Uh, in 2020 as well, uh, the president got way more votes than he got the first time uh, by a large margin. The people spoke really strongly then as well. Um, people are saying we want things to be done differently. And I, I really like what you said in the sense that it's not just necessarily Republican or Democrat anymore. It's just basic common sense now. It's getting to the point where it's just almost crazy versus normal. Yeah. Uh, I mean, can yeah. they teach a five-year-old boy how to turn into a girl in the classroom when the parents don't agree with it? Can they do that? You have the uh, gubernatorial candidate in Virginia, uh, Terry McAuliffe, literally say parents have no business having a say in their kids' education. It's like, what in the world's going on here? 
so I literally think it's coming down to crazy versus normal. And the, the further we go along, the more it gets like that, uh, because the Biden administration has managed to accomplish something very difficult. They're doing even worse than I thought. <laughs> so uh, uh, it's it's I think what you, you said is accurate. And we also see this coming down to the local level as well. Yes. If you get, look again at the election in Virginia, uh, they had 90 percent coverage for poll watchers uh, at the election, whereas normally there's only 20 percent. So we had a really good ground game that was put out in Virginia where a lot of our people were out there at the polls watching to make sure everything was done correctly. That's one thing that uh, Republicans are typically weak at is having a good ground game. But in Virginia, we saw a historic um, ground machinery working and getting our people out there. That's a very good sign. It shows people are getting engaged and people are turning their frustration into action. We really need that to happen in all 50 states in 2022 to just have folks get out there, not just as poll watchers, but also precinct delegates, county commission, township, uh, school boards, run for local seats, have as many America first people as possible, just uh, flood the zone and get into those positions. And then as time goes by, they're going to move up slowly into your state legislatures and your federal level even. So I think this is a good thing we're seeing. It, of course, takes time to play out, but we didn't get here overnight to where we are. It's, it's been a decades long fight. Um, and I think finally our people with what's been happening with the COVID and the uh, election in 2020 have really been uh, woken up. So this is a really good thing. As painful as it is to see these things happen, but it's good to see that people are actually starting to get more involved. Yeah. And, and how involved they'll be more inclined to be as we get closer to the midterms and then moving forward after that. I, I do want to touch on some of the issues that are affecting our nation right now. I think one, you, you kind of let us in. Uh, it sounds like you're not a big proprietor of critical race theory. Um, that's definitely something that's that's a huge national topic and debate right now. Um, there's there's a lot of people, major influencers in our countries with backing of people in, in you know, D.C. politics that have kind of tried to rewrite history um, by saying either the country was founded on a different date or, you know, this is uh, systemic racism and all this other stuff. It sounds like you're going to be a pretty big combatant of that whole narrative. Why don't you tell us why? Yeah. I mean, this issue just kind of strikes home because uh, I'm from Michigan, born and raised, but my parents are actually from Alabama and they grew up under, you know, real actual segregation and, and things. So I, I heard the stories growing up. And what you see them doing today uh, with critical race theory, uh, which says that if you're white, you're automatically guilty, regardless of your actual character, how you treat people, how you view others, how you love God and love your neighbor. And no, that doesn't matter. Just the fact that you're white, that means you're automatically guilty of uh, white supremacy, white privilege, systematic racism, all the other phrases they can make up. It, it's really quite insidious. And then on the other hand, they also say if you're black, you're automatically a victim. Doesn't matter how hard you've worked or haven't worked. Um, no matter what what you do in terms of your personal actions, individual responsibility. No, it doesn't matter. You're automatically a victim um, if you're a black. And they're trying to recast not only the present but the past that way too, and define our entire past based on uh, slavery and uh, racial issues we've had in the past, which is simply uh, a false narrative. Uh, and really, what they're doing is an insult to the legacy of the civil rights movement. Yes, because the civil rights movement said, "Judge a person by the content of your character." not their race. And that's the direction I think our nation has been moving throughout its history. Have we had some issues in the past? Yes, we have. But we have been moving in the right direction. There's no question about that. I think CRT is dangerous because it threatens to derail that and take us back in the wrong direction where people are viewed by their race, not by the content of their character. Uh, another factor here, which I don't necessarily always like to bring this up, but because I happen to be a black dude, I can speak out and say certain things on this that other people can't. Um, and they'll still call me a white supremacist, but it might take them five seconds instead of two seconds to do it. <laughs> and so I can I can kind of get out there a little bit and say and talk about this in a more uh, frank and blunt way than some some of our other 
uh, our friends can. So yeah, I think we've got to nip this in the bud and really, really attack it. And one other aspect of this, I think that's kind of related to it that no one talks about is uh, we have immigration, you know, which, uh, uh, you know, people tend to support reasonable levels of immigration. Yes. But no one ever talks about assimilation. It's an issue that has totally gone by the wayside. How do we make sure that those coming here are uh, being assimilated? Those in the past did do that. Uh, many people that came here in the past were proud to become American um, and fly the flag and, and assimilate to our culture. But now with this critical race theory and its spinoffs, they're saying, no, 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 no. You keep whatever culture you came from because this is a white racist, uh, white supremacist, imperialistic culture. You don't want to assimilate to this. So you keep whatever you came from. Then that leads to balkanization, which is also a place we don't want to go. No, it's So not. I think this whole thing of assimilation is something that's got to be part of the picture, too. Yeah, I feel like that is more of a tactic to you're going to have these uh, communities and demographics of people that they can threaten and coerce and just fear monger with like, well, you need to, to vote with us. Otherwise, you know, these these white supremacists are going to, you know, deport you and all that. You know, that just seems like that's the, the game plan. Yeah, it certainly is. And, and I mean, I think a whole thing that goes with assimilation is it's just not explained and taught the right way. Like. Uh, being able to, you know, assimilate to American traditions and values doesn't mean you abandon yours. It means you really buy into the better life you're coming here for. And I think a lot of people, you know, are, are so afraid to lose touch with either their own culture or they've been scared. Like Noah just made a point on of, of it's kind of like fear porn in the fact that, you know, they say if you vote a certain way, they're just eventually going to like whitewash you and erase your whole identity when that's not necessarily the case. We just want you to appreciate the land of opportunity for what it is, a land of opportunity. Yep. So not not a not a a smaller version of the place you came from that you, you know, why would you want to rebuild or hold on to all of the negative things as well of where you came from in a place that's, you know, going to help you separate from that and, and live a better life. So that's an excellent point you made there, John. And, and I definitely think it's a topic that uh, definitely needs to be worked in a lot more. Yeah. You know, and the DOJ calling parents uh, domestic terrorists yeah. when they go to their school board meetings to talk about these issues, it's, it's really outrageous, but, it's a communist playbook. You know, if you look at the Bolshevik revolution and other uh, times in history where communism has tried to rear its head, the playbook is always pretty similar. And so there is some historical continuity here in what they're doing. But um, it's beautiful to see the parents speak up um, everywhere, even here in Michigan and, and rural areas and smaller, smaller towns you haven't heard of. The school board meetings are just getting totally packed out yeah. because the parents are showing up. They're making their voice heard. It's democracy in action. And it's a really a beautiful thing. It sure is. Yeah. And the threat of, ha you know, making them domestic terrorists for showing up and raising their voice for their their rights as a parent. It's completely asinine. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's just incredible to think that, you know, I'm in my early forties, Noah, so are you, you know, and, and we, we grew up in such a time where you, you really saw America being prosperous late eighties through the nineties, two thousands. And then, you know, something just wound up happening. I don't know, over a 16 year period, I can't imagine what it was that put us in this spot, probably the most divisive president ever. Yeah. Um, you know, and now his, his co-pilots running the show. So we're, we're circling back to that. Um, now, John, next thing I want to touch on, it's kind of like two pronged. We, we saw over the last day or two, uh, a shelving of the Build Back Better deal. I mean, when you're in HUD, you're, you're definitely working with a lot of numbers and finances. I'm sure you could probably articulate a little bit on how that's awesome that that bill didn't get through and what it would do to the country. And then 
segue to today, we see a really big push from the administration now to put in this, well, they're trying to revisit this voter rights thing, which would just absolutely wreck any kind of real uh, oversight into any election now moving forward. What do you think about either one of those topics? Yeah, so the Build Back Better, um, I think we're we're all well aware is, is of people of our persuasion. It's just totally uh, insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, that level of spending and what it would do uh, to the uh, monetary supply, which is already expanding too fast, um, leading to more and more inflation, um, it's it's really reckless and irresponsible. Uh, it seems like they're on this roller coaster ride. They don't want it to end where they just keep um, the spending going at almost an infant level and keep the money printing going at almost an infant level. And it's not sustainable for the long term. It's going to be painful for the next generation, the generation after that. We're going to be left footing the bill. I think um, I don't have kids of my own, but I think for all those who have kids and grandkids, you don't want to leave uh, our next generations with that kind of problem, with that kind of debt burden. It's just simply irresponsible. So uh, it's it's, uh, just on that level. It's ridiculous. That doesn't even count what's actually in it. If you go through this bill and see that just totally absurd things are trying to shove in. Um, it, it's it's even more insane. So yeah, it's good that that thing is is uh, gone at least for the time being. Uh, we don't want anything like that going through. But you know, the, it seems like everybody in DC loves big, big spending. Yeah. Uh, the Republicans who stand up to it are few and far in between. Uh, this COVID nineteen bill that we had when I was in there, um, I didn't want the extra nine billion. Uh, to be very honest, because our communities around the country already have a hard enough time managing eight billion a year that they receive from us. You have to have the staff to read the applications to do compliance to make sure that people get the money are using it correctly. Uh, there's a lot of work involved. So we're giving them twice, well, the same amount of money that they normally get an entire year. We're giving them one time and we're telling them to use it uh, just for COVID. It just really doesn't quite work out so well. So I think there, there would have been better ways than simply throwing more money at it uh, to address the issues than uh, what we did. But you know that's the way it works. I just want to throw money at a problem. Uh, this obviously applies across everything, including, for example, uh, crime and family formation. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Sowell will always say that uh, slavery, the Civil War, uh, Jim Crow, Reconstruction, all those things did not destroy the black family, but the welfare state did. And uh, coming to HUD, where I worked, the black home ownership rate is about the same today as it was in the 60s. Mm. Even though there's been trillions of dollars spent on all kinds of programs since then, it hasn't gone up. Whereas from 1880 to 1930, it went up by about three to four fold without all these government programs. It was regular Americans building their homes and family values. Um, that's what we saw. That was a formula that works throwing money at stuff. There just isn't evidence behind it that it gets a job done. So with build back better. Uh, yeah, it's just, just a bad deal, deal all around. Um, and then the voter rights stuff. Yeah. I mean, it goes without saying they want to permanently institutionalize things like uh, Zuckerbucks, yep. uh, mass uh, mailing of uh, ballots. Uh, you can't use voter ID. You don't have to use signature matching. Um, all the most problematic aspects uh, that we saw in, in a, uh, 2020 and all the uh, significant anomalies we saw, they had basically go back uh, with the things that caused those and codify them so the states don't even have a right to uh, uh, to fight back against it and have cleaner elections. You know, we want actually, um, we want more voting, but less cheating. We want to make it easier for people to vote, but harder to cheat. Uh, the Voter Rights Act that they're proposing is the exact opposite. Uh, it just removes any and all ways that we can make sure our elections are safe. So it's really, really bad news. Another thing that people don't talk about much is we're getting so far outside of international standards. Right. Uh, many, many European countries don't even allow mail-in ballots. No. And the ones that do, you've got to be overseas and show your passport. Uh, France banned mail-in voting in 1975 because there was too much cheating with it. Um, Canada uh, uses no uh, voting machines for their national elections. They use only ballots and they hand count the ballots. 
uh, because they realize there could be some some issues there. So we are really getting far outside of what the rest of the developed world is doing. And we're starting to look more like uh, some developing countries in the way that you're counting votes 14 days after an election. You're starting to vote like a month a month before the election. You're just mailing ballots wantonly. Uh, people who uh, are not even eligible to vote could be getting those and mailing it back in. It's just it's really insane. So I think uh, we got to work on those things. And and this voter, uh, the so-called voter rights bill, which is not about voter rights at all, um, just does the exact opposite. So I think uh, Republicans are really got to make sure to stand against that. Yeah, they really got to dig in their heels on this one because it looks like they're going to make a big push for it. Um, I, I think uh, one of the other things I, I wanted to talk to you about today while we have you, uh, it doesn't necessarily affect Michigan geographically, but in the overall state of things, quality of life in the state in regards to like crime, uh, how it affects the middle class family and, uh, you know, overall safety and stuff like that is the the problem we've been having at the southwest border this year. Um, It's it's incredible to see how in just nearly 11 months, how much damage has been done. Some of it is probably uh, is guaranteed irreversible um get, getting into the the house of representatives there there are going to be a lot of candidates who who are really champion getting that border secured and, and taking care of the people down there who are working on it right now that have just been in harm's way when you talk about not only the unmitigated numbers that are coming across the border but having to do it during the pandemic and now with having the risk of being fired for refusing the vaccine what can you say about how you feel about the border, you know, how it overall affects Michigan? I'm sure there's a lot of, uh, you know, of the illegal population that's working and taking away from the middle class families. And then you have crime and, of course, like the opioid pandemic right now we're having with the fentanyl and stuff like that. How can you touch on that and how it directly affects you and what you want to take to the beltway to kind of get it changed? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a huge issue. Uh, when President Trump came down the escalator in 2015 to announce his candidacy, he said, build a wall. Um, I believe that is the thing that propelled him to number one, where he mm-hmm. stayed, uh, because people are aware that um, immigration has bigger impacts than meets the eye. Uh, for example, you know, in economics, when you have a bigger labor pool, wages go down. Um, and what illegal immigration especially does is um, it keeps the labor pool really large. And so that means that wages don't go up uh, for working class jobs. So this impacts all Americans, whether black, white or Hispanic Americans. This has an impact on reducing wages for the working class. So that by itself is a huge problem that we don't often think about. Uh, And then, of course, as you mentioned, there's uh, cocaine and fentanyl, which comes across at pretty high numbers uh, that uh, with a totally porous border that we have right now and and Biden uh, handcuffing kind of uh, the Border Patrol and the other agencies from being able to secure it. It's really creating a dangerous situation in terms of drugs that are coming into our country. And I believe now that the annual deaths from drug overdoses are something like what, 15, 20% higher than it was under us and the Trump administration uh, for this very reason. So uh, that's a really big issue as well. And then there's actual uh, poor folks who are trying to come here. Um, you have many children that are being used basically as as pawns yeah. um, who are being brought here so that the authorities can't do anything with them. These are human beings who are being totally manipulated and exploited in a type of human trafficking at the border in order to facilitate this whole thing. And if we really can reduce this and get a clap on it, we can actually help those people by not letting them be used for this purpose. So there's just so many different angles you can look at this problem uh, uh, from, and it doesn't, it, it's a, it's bad news either way. And the numbers since Biden has come in, as you mentioned, are just really uh, quite terrible. So we've got to get a handle on it. I mean, if, if I get into Congress, we're going to do everything we can legislatively uh, to increase funding and increase training and just give some more teeth to our border folks so they can uh, really get a grip on it. As well as, you know, there's an international aspect too. 
um, uh, Mexico and the other countries um, have got to, I think, cooperate with us to a certain degree in order to um, improve economic conditions in their country so that the people uh, won't necessarily feel they need to come here for a better life. They, their own government can take its responsibility to help make their life better, too, by giving them a better economy and uh, higher wages and whatnot. I think often um, illegal immigration is used as a safety valve by certain countries uh, to let the poorest of the poor come here instead of having to give them economic opportunity themselves in their own country. So I think we have a right to call those countries out on that, too. So I think there's a multi-pronged approach we can do here that can significantly help with the problem. Last thing I wanted to ask you, and it's one that we touch on with just about all of our candidates, especially more recently when we see uh, you know, some of the numbers shifting around, who, who do you think would be good when it comes up to nominating someone for Speaker of the House after the midterms? And then uh, when you look at the uh, the upper house, I, you don't think, especially after serving in the administration for the last, you know, um, couple years during the Trump time that, uh, uh, well, Leader McConnell is someone that you'd be able to, or I think the new wave of incoming uh, house reps and, and senators are going to be able to get behind. Can you agree with that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's, it's difficult for the new wave of America first uh, um, Republicans uh, because we have maybe a little bit different values than uh, uh, Senator McConnell. Um, I mean, he did a good job at getting the judges through, but I think when it comes to some other issues like immigration, the Second Amendment, et cetera, uh, there's really a difference in values, I think, mm-hmm. between what the average American conservative believes and, and what, uh, what he holds. So I think there's a, a conflict there. There really is. Um, so I, I, think, I think we'll have to uh, work on uh, having more representation in the Senate from the America first, first point of view uh, in order to, to solve that. So, yeah, that's something that would have to be done. And then, you know, down at the House level for a Speaker of the House, uh, you know, there's the stalwarts like uh, Jim Jordan, um, Thomas Massey, et cetera, uh, who have really uh, stepped up and uh, uh, I think held their ground pretty well. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is a fundraising powerhouse. Mm-hmm. And usually that's a criteria you have for a Speaker of the House as someone who, who raises a lot of funding. Um, so there's lots of choices out there uh, for someone who could uh, be a Speaker of the House. Uh, Speaker McCarthy, or oh, Minority Leader McCarthy right now, um, he's there. So I assume he might want to throw us hat in the ring if we get the majority as well. But it'll be interesting to see how all the horse trading um, uh, happens. And, and But I do think it will be wise for the establishment to pick someone who does embody this emerging uh, America first um, a value system that we have coming up or else we're going to have nothing but more conflict between the establishment trying to have a total grip and the regular folks across the country who just want their voice heard um, in Washington, D.C. So I think we really need to move in the direction of America first, both at the House and the Senate level. Oh, I, I should also say there's a talk that President Trump might want to throw us out in the rank for a Speaker of the House as well. So <laughs> be that would be, be quite interesting. Would you be down <laughs> with that for 100 days and then him announcing Jim on the campaign trail would kind of give all the Republicans physically a place to huddle around President Trump, send him off on his way, and then he could kind of king make who he thinks would uh, make a good Speaker of the House there? I think that would actually be pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, that would be uh, that would be quite uh, um a historic thing. I, I would be uh, would be proud to be involved in that. You think sis- Sister Nancy would show up to hand her gavel? Oh, to him? I think people's heads would explode. <laughs> yeah, you know, there, there, there. I like all those people you named. Thomas Massey doesn't get hardly enough credit uh, 
first of all, he's super based, and and then second of all, he stands by his convictions. Like he will, he retweets tweets from like three years ago, and he's like, "Wow, imagine that this aged well." And it's literally the stuff that we're talking about now that he forecasted coming, whether it be on the economy, whether it be on COVID, um, and, and the the breaking down of the uh, you know democratically ran cities. He's he's pretty on point. I also. Uh, uh, Representative Banks' name keeps coming up a lot. I think he's had a really good last couple of years, and I, I like him. I think he's strong too. And then, of course, you can't, you can't not mention Matt Gates. He's one of those people that's kind Absolutely. of been—he's like the daddy for a lot of the America First candidates. Like you talk to people like Joe Kent, Sabatini, Collins. We've had them on. Steve Kara. He's also up in Michigan. I think Michigan Twenty Two. He's running with you up there. They all always you know, revolve back to Matt and say that, you know, he's whipping all these guys. They do like these, uh, you got to get in some of these. They do them on Twitter, uh, those rooms. And, uh, there was one on Thanksgiving night. I was driving home from the store. I went to like grab a bag of ice and I'm like, Oh yeah, I'll see what's up. And it was like, Gosar was in there. Gates was in there. Sabatini was in there. Kent was in there. And then there was like 3000 people listening. And I was like, okay, this is going to be whatever. I'll, I'll drive, you know, 10 minutes to the store. I wound up listening to it for three hours. Um, I'm like, these guys are really getting to the bottom of some of these issues, and they're just, like, asking people, all right, any question, and they're reading random questions, and they're trying to give the best answers they could. I was like, yeah, these guys are getting on the same page. This is going to be a different in these midterms. So, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to agree with you. I think all the names you mentioned, uh, Representative Gates especially, yeah, a real powerhouse. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just exciting uh, just talking about this. So, I think there's going to be some really good, uh, things happening uh, if things go as we think they'll go in November. And you guys just keep working as hard as you're working right now. I don't think we're going to have any issues with that, regardless of the numbers. John, this was amazing getting to know you today. Uh, we, we are going to wish you the best of luck on your continued campaign moving forward. We hope to get you back before the midterms at least one time to kind of check in and get an update. I, I, I don't think that'll be too big of a deal. Why don't you tell our, our listening audience where they could find you across social media, whether it be your congressional website where they could help donate, and then uh, Twitter, anything else you have. Sure. Uh, thanks guys for having me on. appreciate it. Uh, folks can find me at votejohngibbs.com. That's votejohngibbs.com. Uh, so if you go to Twitter, I think it's also vote John Gibbs. So uh, yeah, just check out the website that I'll link you to all the socials as well as how you can give. Uh, you do need quite a war chest when you're going up against the establishment. Uh, so uh, folks can partner that way as well. But yes, uh, votejohngibbs.com. Perfect. He's running in Michigan 3. I enjoyed having him on for his first time on Steak for Breakfast. John Gibbs, thanks for uh, jumping in with us today, and we wish you the best. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. You take care. Well, it's pretty interesting to hear a lot more coming from the other side of the aisle lately. But are we really nearing the end of the defund the police movement? Kind of strange to say, speaking that the summer of love was just last year. But with murders skyrocketing over 400% in 12 of the major Democrat ran cities across the country. And uh, now smash and grabs seeming like normalcy. We're starting to hear a little bit of a different tone from the left. Now we on this show have played montages of congressional house members, senators, Speaker of the House, President, all champion. Resident. The summer of love and how awesome it was. So much love. And the things that they did to spring those people out to burn down whatever they didn't burn down right before they went to jail. However, Sister Nance had a little bit of a memory lapse 
when asked about recent spikes in crime everywhere this week, including in her home city of San Francisco, her answer might surprise you. It's, it's, it's absolutely outrageous. You know, obviously, it cannot continue. Uh, but the fact is that there is an attitude of uh, uh, lawlessness in our country that springs from I don't know where. You don't know where? She does not know where. You don't know where? She has no idea where it came from. You don't know where? She was chewing on the end of the celery that was sticking out of her Bloody Mary. <laughs> you don't know where? <laughs> How many montages have we played? Don't let them walk down the streets. How do you not know where? She has no idea. Nancy, I think you left your refrigerator open. Your ice cream's melting. And on that note... Fuck. Because work was going to be rough this weekend. She doesn't know where. Jen Saki. She doesn't know where she is half the time. She sounds kind of rough. Banged she... in and gave herself a three-day weekend. Good for her. Which leaves us with the uh, backup. Oh, yeah. Green, Jean, Pierre. Mm. Like a seven. Yeah, it's all right. She was pressed on if Democrats are going to literally stop calling to defund the police and she didn't really give an answer she was she was not very happy with this one what's new question about crime recently the mayor in san francisco is now trying to add police funding because when she pulled it to reinvest in communities crime went way up so would president biden as the leader of the democratic party Mm. advise democratic mayors not to pull money from police budgets. Doesn't look happy. Uh, so I, I can say this. <laughs> like, uh, it is all. absolutely unacceptable when grand, grand, uh, gun crimes are taking lives, when families don't feel safe going to the park or their local schools, mm-hmm. when thieves feel impunity in stealing from uh, retailers. So okay. we applaud uh, the, the mayor uh, making sure that um, there is more police presence uh, in, in the city to, to protect uh, Americans. It's so if you're a mayor, this is what we say to local leaders if you're a mayor or local leader there is a crime problem in your community we think you should step up and do something about it uh, just as many mayors are already doing well do do they realize that this like if this makes sense to you as a person you well i mean you're the target demographic i guess well maybe it's if maybe she was assuming there was a lot of people watching their first ever press sec conference ever (laughs) <laughs> and that every piece of news that's ever existed prior to that, you don't think didn't the exist. doing this with what is she impunity? Mm-hmm. You don't think that's because oh I don't know bailing everybody out and not charging them with fucking crimes? Like come on, like give me a, yeah. really? You don't know where it came from? No clue. <laughs> somebody, COVID. Somebody got well. Uh, Obvi- is, obviously, it's COVID. The root cause global of, warming, right. climate change, and racism. There you go. The big four. Yeah. Well, the Zodiac weighed in and gave a, gave a little bit more sense of it. And he wouldn't be the funniest one. Let's hear him kind of piggyback off of what we just heard in the first two clips. It's when you have Democratic politicians 
arguing for abolishing the police, mm -hmm. undermining the cops, and, and when you have DAs refusing to prosecute crimes, the result, to the shock of nobody, is more crimes and more murders. Yes, Senator, Chicago, Milwaukee, Jackson, Mississippi set murder records this year. All have Soros-backed DAs. Oh, He's whoa. pouring tens of millions of dollars month. into yes. the campaign war chests of these DA candidates from coast to coast. It's swamping all the other candidates. How do you stop this? Pun intended. Mm. Well, you stop this by saying enough is enough, by, by having the people rise up against these, these left-wing DAs, by, by having the people hold Joe Biden and Senate Democrats accountable. Look, listen, Joe Biden has nominated not one, but two senior officials of the Department of Justice who are among the leading advocates in the country for abolishing the police. Yep. They're now senior DOJ officials. Every single Senate Democrat voted to confirm them. And so did Just Lindsey last Graham. week, we had a fight on the Senate floor because Biden took one of these Soros prosecutors, Rachel Rollins, up in Massachusetts. He nominated her to be the U.S. attorney for the state of Massachusetts. We had a battle on the Senate floor. So Rachel Rollins put out a, a, a memo under her own name when she was the Suffolk uh, DA, and she listed 15 offenses that, that her prosecutors were not allowed to prosecute, that they were instructed to dismiss the case. Those included that? things like breaking and entering, like larceny, like resisting of arrest, like, like drug dealing, and not just drug dealing of marijuana, but hard drugs, PCP, fentanyl, heroin. It, it, it was a stunning list of, of just crimes that she refused to prosecute. Biden said she should be the top federal law enforcement officer in the state of Massachusetts, and, and to new. my astonishment, every single Senate Democrat, even those that call themselves moderates, every one of them voted to confirm her. The tie was 50-50, and Vice President Kamala Harris broke the tie. Uh, that, people have got to say, enough is enough. And, and, and I think the, the constituents of these Democratic senators need to ask them, why are you voting to confirm prosecutors and DOJ officials who want to abolish the police and who refuse to prosecute crime. Hmm. Excellent question. Excellent question. Then it makes you wonder why. Why would they do that? Why would she give a list of things that should be prosecuted, which is like common sense and, you know, according to the law, if you're following the law, like what's the goal here and why? Are they True creating, story. you know, their army of henchmen you know if there was like i don't know like they want to cause as much chaos as possible like well, it's it's insane we are going to get a peek into one of those senate judorial hearings and we're going to get some commentary from one of our favorite national treasures senator kennedy oh yeah listen to how he kind of broke down his questioning when he had and trauma up there this week who uh i don't think she hit the mark and it was because of some of her awesome question answering here so i'm gonna ask it again maybe it's me <laughs> do you believe that we should forgive a criminal act in the name of social justice pretty simple enough senator i ha share the view that we should be unbiased, but I also share the view that our criminal justice system and our process is very individualized. <gasps> so what should happen in any particular case is a matter of the process and the very specific do, do facts you believe in that case. That a criminal act should be forgiven in the name of social justice. 
So the outcome of any case is always highly individualized based on the process and the facts. What's your favorite color? <laughs> Blue. Thank you. I got one. Exactly. I'm one for about 20. I can't vote for you. <laughs> not if you're not going to answer questions. I mean, that was embarrassing. <laughs> now go the fuck home. She's basically saying, uh, yes. if you're if you're a leftist, you know, individual, you know, each case, right? No, but if you if we classify you as a white supremacist Trump supporter, jail forever, mm. ever, and ever. Now, in a clip to round out this section that I did not expect to hear this week, San Francisco Mayor London Breed took to the streets and held a press conference mm. in reaction to the complete destruction and wasteland that is now Nancy Pelosi's home district. After a bunch of people have doxxed her out partying with no mask on and are unrelentlessly following her like she's the (laughs) Joe Manchin of San Francisco, I mean, she's gone into some underground clubs and and been videotaped, like, dry humping on some other girls with no mask on when she's locking down the whole fucking city. Oh, wow. That's bad. And, and she knows it's because her constituents are unhappy. People, this is real. In San Francisco right now, I saw a picture of it the other day. It was like four cars in a row parked in front of an apartment complex. They're leaving their trunks open when they go home because they don't want people to smash their fucking car windows in. That's insane. Wait, what? Yeah, they're leaving their trunks open. Oh, so people know there's nothing in there. That no, no, there's nothing in there. And if they want to steal anything, it's going to have to be the whole car. So do you think they're finding a lot of bums sleeping and or shitting in their trunks? You can only hope. Yes. I was just thinking the same thing. <clears throat> but let's hear the mayor of Craptown, Pelosiville, USA, weigh in on how much she's had it with the recent spike in crimes, which include aggravated assaults, smashing grabs, and murder. Where did it come from? In good old San Francisco. You don't know where it came from? She has no idea. And it's time that the reign of criminals who are destroying our city, it is time for it to come to an end. And it comes to an end when we take the steps to be more aggressive with law enforcement, more aggressive with the changes in our policies. You defunded them. And less tolerant of all the bullshit that has destroyed our city. And you bailed them out. Mm -hmm. We are gonna turn this around. And you made it not This is a city that has a population of less than one million people with an over $12 billion budget. The residents of this city have been extremely generous in providing us with the resources we need to make a difference. And now the priorities we need to make must be to protect them, Mm. must be to turn things around in their neighborhoods. When you are in a room full of people, I would say probably anywhere between 90 and 95% of folks could raise their hand and say that either their car has been broken into, or they've been a victim in some capacity or another. That is not okay. That is not acceptable. It's like we're living in fucking clown world. Where did it come from? This is the stuff last year that we literally made fun of. <laughs> you know what? They created this monster machine, right? And I and, and I they didn't have realize no it idea did. where it came from. It's idiotic. I think a lot of them didn't realize it would be this bad. You How know? do you not? Like, I mean, well, two plus two is four every single time. Hey, guess what? You can steal 
X amount of money worth of shit and nothing's going to happen to you. Once it starts affecting them, that's when they get all pissed. So I'm pretty sure it's affecting these people in some way because that's where they they live and operate. You have all these major businesses moving out of the areas and places where they burnt down all the mom and pop shops last year. So it's like, you know, you don't mind stepping in human shit on the way to your car as long as your window's not broken and everything's stolen. Or there's shit in your car because you have to leave your trunk open because you're afraid they're going to smash it. And it rains there a lot, too. That must just like, you think there's like, leave the trunk open, some clear plastic duct tape to it so you can see inside. Or maybe people are installing like peepholes like for a door. Just drill a hole in the back of your trunk and then like have a little LED light so you can like, a little, a little arrow that says, look inside, nothing. Potential glory hole, though. It's like, what do you, okay, they, they, release people, <clears throat> they release these people from jail. They don't, they don't charge them with anything. They let them do whatever they want for a while, especially while Trump was in office and whatnot. But they, they think that just because they did them these favors, that they were not, that they were going to stop continuing, like, you know, continuing on with their craziness and their crimes just because they're in power now. Like, uh, no, these people have, don't have an allegiance to you or to anyone. It's, they're gonna, it's, it's a free-for-all. You know how you know? many people are probably taking road trips to these areas just because? Like, I mean, if I was a criminal. Well, you know Antifa yeah, travels well. Yeah. And so does Black Lives Matter. It's it's just interesting to see when, when you play those five clips in a row and to hear, like, the kaleidoscope of narrative go all the way down, you would never think you start with someone like Nancy Pelosi saying she yeah. has no idea where the spike in crime across the country comes from. And at the very end, here, the mayor of the town where... You know, she she is one of her constituents saying she has had enough and this has to stop all in the same week. Pretty crazy, to say the least. Jumping in on the show with us today and circling back for her second appearance on Steak for Breakfast, this Friday edition. Mr. Bobby Python, sir, thanks for joining us again today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's our pleasure. Um, I want to get right down to it with you. How are things going with the campaign up there? Oh, things are things are going great. I've um, uh, I've I've been able to um, I guess garner support from all fifty states in the country, and in, in the first filing that I had, um, raised a little over a hundred thousand dollars, and you know we probably have about three hundred people uh, as volunteers within Illinois to collect signatures, which I'm pretty excited about. And, and in fact, I'll talk about that, you, um, you know, later on, if you like, about Absolutely. what the whole country could be doing to expose uh, fraud in the registration files with the collection of signatures. I do, I do have Canada. something. Yeah, I do have something in our questions talking about the election integrity stuff. We are going to get yeah. to that for sure. Yeah. So, um, no, it, it's been great. I mean, uh, Lynn, I, I'm not sure if Lynn Wood had endorsed me the last time we spoke, but Lynn Wood has endorsed me. Uh, Stu Peters, um, you know, Ann Vandersteel, Doug Billings, nice, and uh, Professor Clemente, uh, who's been traveling around the country with voter fraud. So it's um, I, it's it's wonderful to have so much support, and and I'm just trying to do my part to um, to help restore restore the country to the will of the American people. Because right now it doesn't feel as though the people in D.C really care about anybody but themselves and they're not doing our will they're they're doing the will of whoever's writing the checks i guess to them or you know and i don't even think it's americans in a lot of cases i think it's global interest that 
might use Americans as proxies to get them the money. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point you made there. And I, I know, uh, I mean, that's how I feel about it. Right. Same. There are a lot of things in Illinois that, that need to get changed. And by changed, I mean, bring back in tune with the, uh, actual pulse of the country and not just what lines your pocket in the beltway. And that's some of the stuff we've, we've been seeing there. We, we did have a guest, I believe it was two weeks ago. Um, and, and he's running in Illinois as well. Uh, Keith Peacock, he, he was a really get, great guest and he's just getting his campaign started. He's the mayor of, well, he's transitioning from the mayor of Orland park and now into the, you know, race over there in his section of Illinois. And then, of course, you. It looks like we have some pretty strong candidates coming out of there. You know, I saw something on your on your Twitter feed this week, and, and it talked about, you know, being compelled or called to run for office and serve the people. I, I do want to touch on that a little bit with you before we get into some of the questions I have based on, like, you know, the national stuff that's going on and things that are affecting your race. Can you give our listening audience who maybe – might have forgotten since the last time you've been on or, or just getting to know you in this episode about some of the things that drove you to, to get into this race and uh, be ready to serve the people of Illinois. Sure. Well, I, um, I guess it kind of started last year with um, being asked to look at some data in Arizona by Liz Harris, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to examine just how much, you know, I, I, I went in there with no expectations. I would find anything. So when Liz asked me to look at it, I said, I'll, I'll see what the data says and that's, and, and then I'll report back my findings. Um, and, and I think just seeing how much fraud was taking place uh, and then starting to get involved in other states, um, that w- that's kind of the evolution. And then, then I started um, just started having more and more feelings and thoughts and, and, you know, um, you know, this, this push or call to, to serve uh, by people that I might have been helping across other states with their voter integrity projects. And I was just, I guess I was a little dismayed by how uh, few people that are in elected office were taking the, the concerns of the American people seriously, that there was nobody who was really willing to step up and uh, at least at a minimum investigated. Like I was shocked that, that the American people are, are, are calling on this process to start and they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even um, entertain that concept. And we've seen it in our co- corrupt court system, yeah. refusing to hear cases when there's overwhelming evidence. And so um, I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of look at running for U S Senate and act as though, um, you know, you know, you know, I'm going to act the way the American people in, in, in aggregate would in a sense act, right. Mm-hmm. Hence the will of the people yeah. and, and tackle the issues that are most on our mind and, and, and greatest concern to our, our long-term peace of mind and, um, you know, uh, allow us to, um, go forward with our lives. Cause I, I do feel like we've been kind of stuck in this limbo uh, scenario where we're not exactly sure how everything's going to play out. We know there's a lot of problems. There's, there's a tremendous amount of problems structurally and it doesn't feel like any of them are really being solved. So what do we do to break it down and make the problem smaller 
and 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 I have that skill set. So I thought, you know what? If if uh, if I'm being called to do this, um, I'd like to to do my part. But once again, I'm going to re- reiterate, folks: one term and done. Uh, I said if I if I wanted to be in the Senate more than one term, I would have to move to a different state. But there's 300 million people in this country. I think the census is lying. I think it's closer to 300 million, but 300 million people in this country and 33 senators every two years. Why shouldn't there be a new senator every two years? 33 of them. Yeah. We should not have, we should have one term for U.S. Senate, period. If you want to get really fancy, we should go back to where, uh, you know, if we have honest state elections, the state legislators pick the senators to, to act on behalf of the state rights in the state, which is the model that I'm going to really pursue. It's like, what's best for the state rights within the federal government system? And even though I'll be representing Illinois, I will be fighting for state rights nationwide. So if you're in California and you want to support Bobby Python, go bobbypython.com. <laughs> Like and, I'll, and I'll help fight for your state too. By the way, I am working on your audits, guys. FYI, I am helping uh, with a couple of groups. I had to sign some stuff. I know data, there's data restrictions in California, but I'm officially going to be helping with some, uh, not just analysis, not just ideas of how to go about the data in California, but I'll probably get access to the data once I sign the appropriate paperwork so that I can um, further help the cause out there. Yeah, there's a lot of... Uh... Wait, so you don't think uh, Gavin Newsom got more popular when he got recalled? <laughs> I think... I, I, I could, Here, I'm going to tell you a quick story about Illinois because I think California is probably right there with us. There was uh, 12.4 million people in this state in the year 2000. And um, there was about 3.4 million people that voted in 1998. Fast forward to November of last year, there was... 12.8 million people. So mm-hmm. our population of our entire state went up by 400,000. We underperformed the country. The United States went up by about 17%. That's how much this country grew. We grew at about 3% over 20 years in population. But meanwhile, the, 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 the growth at the polls went from, uh, and, and envelopes, by the way, not just mm-hmm. at the polls, it went from 3.4 million people voted to 6.2 million people voted. 6.1, 6.2 million people. So you're talking about 2.7 million more votes. Mm. And the population went up by 400,000. So it's, it's, the, yeah, that's, it's that's, so that's fraudulent fine. here. That's fine. And, and we're going to be exposing all that. We've started, since I'm a statewide candidate, I have a right to the data. So I've been creating with my team the, the metadata to share uh, with the public. And we're actually going to be doing, um, you know, g- getting all this information out to the public. Um, and then, you know, like a lot of it already has been gone out, but we're going to put it into um, one paper form. So we're going to go old school, folks. We're going to have a newspaper. <laughs> like and it. it's going to get mailed out to over 100,000 people. Uh, it's almost complete. And... Um, and hopefully we'll get the first issue out within the next 30 days. So uh, if you want a copy of that paper, just go go to bobbypython.com and sign up on our mailing list. I'll make sure that you get a copy. We're not charging for it. We're just going to send it out. It's going to walk through how voter fraud occurs, all the different little uh, grifts that they run. 
and uh, what you can do to help stop it in your community and take your you know help take our country back uh, one one precinct one one county at a time. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you bring up some of those points. <clears throat> We've had so many different people on the show in some context or another who's worked on, you know, things related to the whole stop the steal and the audits things, you know, Christina Bob from OAM, in addition to being a correspondent for them, she also served on Rudy Giuliani's legal counsel right after the election. Uh, we've had Heather Mullins on from Real America's Voice. She's been like one of the most exclusive people working all the numbers and doing all the reportings on the Favorito case down in Georgia. Uh, we've had Seth Keschel, who's been crunching numbers all over the country as well. And, you know, you start to see and, and hear all of these stories. You hear all these different people who really don't interact with each other all the time. And they've all been in different places of the country where a lot of this, you know, inconsistencies and, like you said, just straight-up fraud occurred. And you start looking at, like, Mark Zuckerberg and the Facebook money. You start looking at, like, these voter registration groups where they go in and grab young kids right at the start of the voter age, knowing that they're never going to vote anytime soon, but those names are going to just be there hanging out for them to use when they need to pad the numbers or, or get their candidates over the finish line, et cetera, in conjunction with, like you said, the courts who have no spine everywhere across the country. I mean, you probably couldn't have a more cut-and-dry one than they had presented in Georgia, but with no support from the governor, no support from the secretary of state, and a judge whose name kept getting thrown out there on every news report, Judge Amaro, Judge Amaro, Judge Amaro. He doesn't want to be the guy that's going to disenfranchise hundreds of thousands of voters. So he threw it out on lack of standing. Yeah, and that's one of the main arguments you hear when you mm -hmm. talk to somebody who's not informed about what everything that we know was going on. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you know, it got dismissed on lack of stand or lack of standing. It's like, well, do you know Those why that is? Dismissed in general, they don't even say they don't even know to say lack of standing. So they don't even know what that. Yeah, they, yeah, they say dismissed basically. Yeah, yeah. So can I t can I chime in on on that? Well, everything you just said, absolutely. That's you, why you're you, here. You guys just laid it up for me. So I was I was on a call with Defend Florida, and Defend Florida did a bunch of canvassing, and they found. They have 5,000 affidavits signed from 12,000 different locations that someone was at that, that someone was not at that house or at that building that was registered to vote and might have voted, right? Mm -hmm. So 5,000 out of 12,000 knocks, okay, out the door. But here's what, here's one of the most egregious things. And I want to go over to Latinos for Trump out of Texas. So in, in, in this Florida, um, they, they had a, uh, an RV park that had about 150 slots, right? So 150 vehicles in there at one time. And they had 2,500 people registered to vote at that RV park. And guess how many voted in 2020? Oh. 2,000 people voted. I mean, there's probably 20 RVs in the park. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> 2,000 people from across America voted in Florida because this RV park was running this massive voter scam. And now I, I, you know, I heard that the, the sheriffs are going to be looking at making arrests of people in this RV park that did did violate federal law. Nice. So we'll see how that goes because we have such corrupt judges. But the good news is you talk about people being disenfranchised. There's a woman out of Texas, Bianca, um, and uh, I don't want to say her last thing because I don't know if she wants her name floating around out there just yet for, <laughs> I, I think for obvious reasons, but. So, so she's involved with this lawsuit before the Supreme Court. And she's saying, you know, that the Americans of color communities in this country, Mexican communities, uh, black communities, they've been disenfranchised because their vote has been diluted. 
And I can prove this mathematically as well as through canvassing, that their rights have been trampled on. And since their rights were trampled on, it's a civil case. Their civil rights have been trampled on. Yep. And so voting rights are actually a state case. Civil rights, my understanding is there is a federal case. And as such, this her 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 write-up, her 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 case that she filed against multiple states that violated our civil rights. Um made it through the 90-day period, and then is now going to be presented before the U.S. Supreme Court. I put that link on my Telegram, by the way. It said, Bobby, you know, Bobby Python. I set that link up in there, and I said, God bless Bianca, because she's the one that was, I think, spearheading the organization Latinos for Trump yeah. out of Texas. And I met her earlier this year, and I just heard yesterday that it made it through. It made it through on November 22nd. Nice. Which, which just so happens to be my birthday. Nice. Which, uh, you know, anyways, and, 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 and I, I think it's, it's interesting timing. I said it was interesting timing, not, not because it was my birthday, but because that was the day I think our country really took a, a turn for the worse when they killed JFK, mm -hmm. you know, in 1963 on, on, on my birthday, but I was born 12 years later. But when they when they killed JFK, I think that's when they ushered in. It's an interesting coincidence is all. I like to look for coincidences in this world. And, and you know, and I think that I'm, I'm happy to hear that that the lawsuit that is going to expose civil rights violations nationwide by Americans of color who are, you know, who are who are disenfranchised by a corrupt uniparty of pinko rhinos and yep. communist Democrats mm -hmm. is going to be exposed because here, I don't know if I gave you the update on how this scam works. I'll give you 60 seconds. If you want to hear it, 60, yep. 90 second elevator pitch. Yeah, sure so do. here's the way they run the scam folks. They turn around and they create a bunch of fictitious, ridiculous sounding names that everybody knows are just bogus. And you can look at them and you can see that they're bogus. And you can quickly check the voter files and show that there's only one person in the entire state with that last name or that first name who's registered. It's a good way to tell. But it doesn't matter that these people aren't real and that they're not the ones that are going to be voting. Because what they do is they get the currency. They get the voting, the votes mailed to them or printed in this case now in California. You'll print them now. Um, but once you have the, the, the ballot, uh, that's kind of like a currency, it's very hard to, 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 um, um, to counterfeit, uh, you take that ballot and then you go and you look and see who registered to vote through Motor Voter, through Rock the Vote and all this other stuff that didn't show up to vote. And you take this, this this bogus, this real ballot that was sent to a bogus name or bogus individual, and you assign it to a real person who did not vote. Yep. So you assign it to a real person that did not vote. And so that's why it's such a perfect crime. Because if you have really good mathematical models to predict who's going to show up to vote or not, you kind of know. And now if you have time, you can figure out who didn't vote at a particular precinct and then take these these other ballots that are waiting. Hey, how many more votes do we need? OK, these 20 people didn't vote. Just assign it to them, these 20 people. And that's the way the scam works. 
So unless you do physical canvassing, you're not going to find this out. You're not going to find out that someone who didn't vote had their non-vote stolen. Right. So, so this is this is why it's been they've been running this playbook for decades now in this country, and this is why they this is why it's so hard to catch them. Yeah, it's become almost common practice, and then and then it's the way it always has been. When you do start to point it out, it's really going to take some deep dives and some cleansing of those voter rolls. And like you said, physical canvassing, like this person saying they're voting here, this vote was assigned to this person, we need to go to this address, we need to go to this trailer park, this apartment complex, this bridge underpass, unfortunately, this empty lot, and verify that there is not a physical person there by this whatever to be making this vote or at least having the vote that's not going to get you sent out to them every election because we know it's just going to go where it's not supposed to be. Yep. Yeah. Well, to your point, the way the way I'm going to try to tackle this problem in Illinois, because I think there's about two million people that are fictitious registrations in Illinois. There's like almost four million people out of nine million in our voter files, four million of nine million, where there's about one million names, first and last names, but then four million names have some number of those first and last names. Oh my gosh. So, so it's an average of like four people per first and last name on a million names. This is on average, right? One might have 10. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. But my point is it's laughable. And the reason why you couldn't catch this nonsense is because in Illinois, unless you're a statewide candidate, you can't see the data. Yep. And there's 102 counties in this state. So they would shuffle people around. So the way I'm going to tackle the problem with these volunteers is I'm going to say, look, when you go get these signatures to get me on the ballot, I'm going to give you a questionnaire and I'm going to tell you about the addresses you're going to go visit. And what I want you to do is ask them, did they vote in 2020? <laughs> yeah. And, and did they, how many people are registered to vote out of that house? And are they willing to sign an affidavit? And, and you know, that, that uh, they did not vote. And yet somehow there's a vote that showed up in the damn voter files. Yep. And yeah. so hopefully if this works, uh, it could maybe be a template for the country to expose this because when people show up to vote and they were told that they already had voted, someone stole their vote. Like in California, I heard when this happens to you guys. And so you show up to vote, they tell you somebody voted, you already voted and you're like, no, I didn't. So then they give you uh, a provisional ballot in the law in California the, the the first vote in gets counted, not yep. your provisional ballot. Yeah, yeah. the provisional ballot's just like a feel good thing to make you feel like you were you're okay. Okay, well, we well, fixed it. Well, you're then, good. You so, have to get your sticker. <clears throat> yeah. Well, then that's what I'm saying. So this is if every single provisional ballot was someone that had a mail in ballot sent to them that wasn't even a real person, and that ballot was assigned to someone's real identity. And so what I would say is you guys should do a count how many provisional ballots per precinct, per county, and then you guys should investigate those clerks. All those clerks go for the ones, the top ones that had the most provisional ballots and find out how long that, I bet you there's a, you could probably run a little analysis and be like, the longer the clerk has been in there, of course. the more oh, yeah. likely they have provisional ballots. Mm -hmm. And you could probably, it'd probably be a nice little graph. Yeah. 
And it'd be a nice little... And the uh, nicer the house they live in. Exactly. Well, I do want to uh, touch on some of the other issues aside from this, even though there have been a lot of people who have told us you are part of the gold standard when it comes to this data analysis and then moving forward ways to kind of rectify this for the future. So it's definitely interesting to hear your perspective because you break it down. You you talk very exquisitely, but you make it sound so simple and, and it's just good to kind of get it from you because you've been really working on this and you could tell it's one of the biggest things that's driving you is fixing these election systems. So if, like you said, if you're only going to run for one term, the person in next up in line would have a fair shot of, you know, moving into your seat, moving forward and then down the road. Um, we just saw this week kind of not really partisan, but the Build Back Better bill has been shelved through the Christmas holiday now. Everyone from Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer all the way up to Joe Biden incoherently was basically demanding that it get voted on before the Christmas break, which is at the end of this week. Before his butt's been wiped? Yeah. So (laughs) now that we're there, how do you feel? I saw a poll come out today. 62% of the the country right now views this bill as unfavorable. Um, There is no way that the Republicans should do anything to give this guy any political capital occupying the Oval Office right now. What is your take on the Build Back Better bill? I, I know you're a numbers guy. You probably see all the crap that's in there. And and how hard is it going to be to get back from something if they find any kind of compromise in this? Well, a couple things. You know, our country 20 years ago, we were spending $1.8 trillion a year. Uh-huh. Now, that's a hard number for people to wrap their mind around. So let me break it down real simply. There's about 125 million Americans that work full-time equivalents. You know, I'm not talking second jobs, just full-time equivalent American workers. We have about 125 million people in this country working. Well, each 125 million, I want you to imagine you handed them all each $8,000, right? Eight grand each, each worker in this country. So the four of us each got $8,000. That would be $1 trillion if you gave it to 125 million workers. 8,000 bucks, every single one of us, that's 1 trillion. Well, in this country, we used to spend about 1.8 trillion. One point, you know, we'll just round it up to, to 2 trillion. So we used to spend $16,000 a year on the federal government per worker. That was how, that's how much money per worker on average, all the taxes all in went to the federal government. So about 1300 bucks a month. You know what that number is right now? Mm-hmm. Right now we're up to over 6 trillion, probably 6.6 trillion dollars they're spending. Oof. So they tripled it. They're, they've tripled the size of the federal government in 20 years. They're spending right now 8,000 times six is 48 grand, four grand a month every month on 125 million people. That's what these these weasels in DC are spending of our money. And now keep in mind, we're not all sending them four grand a month, No, right? All the workers aren't sending it. So what are they doing? How are they getting the money? They're loading us up with debt, massive amounts of debt that you have to pay back, I have to pay back, our children and grandchildren have to pay back. And my attitude is, 
we need to do a debt jubilee or something. So when I hear this build back better crap, this build back better crap is all about shackling our entire nation with an insane amount of debt. And this money from this, these programs is literally just being stolen by the friends of these politicians in weird programs. I just heard, and, and I haven't done the analysis just yet, but I want to look at it. Um, you know, ivermectin costs about a dollar a pill or something, a, a dollar a dose. Yeah. Um, and um, I heard that the pill that is, a, is, is similar to ivermectin that Pfizer or one of these companies is, you know, selling to the government, a, exact same thing, just added a couple little things. Maybe they put a little salt and pepper in there or something, <laughs> um, is uh, 700 bucks. Yeah. Now, now, these guys are just outright, they, where are they arrests? I'm like, this is just gouging. This, this is outright, this is worse than a bank robbery. What these people are doing, and the fact that nobody in Congress is, is, screaming from the rooftop, right? Get on the damn dome. You know, they should get up there and get on the dome and start screaming or something. You guys are, you know, these these people are so lost and out to lunch or whatever the hell you want to call it, so compromised. Who the hell knows what these people are doing that they just lack common sense and not just common sense. They just have lost their humanity, their mm -hmm. decency for what is fair like what is fair for the American people. And, and so I know I got off on a tangent on this point. So this build back better, it reminds me of the $700 COVID pill. That's all it is. It's just, it's just a bloated beast of bullshit. Yeah. Sorry about the cursing. Go for it. That's no. all it is. This thing is just crap. And you know what? There's a reason why they call Bolgadash Biden, right? Bolgadash is just what does that say? You know, they look up the word Bolgadesh out there. That's what this guy is. Bolshevik Biden, Bolgadesh Biden. It, it's like a last last call to fleece the American taxpayer before the gig is up. That's what it feels like. Yeah. You know, last call at the bar. Hey, last call. Anybody want any drinks? Last call for members of Congress. How much more do you want to fleece before you get booted out next year? Yep. Yeah, it's definitely... An excellent point that you make there, and 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 there's all a lot of truth to that. And we've talked about Pfizer Mectin on this show quite extensively, and the comparison, I'm sure, and the chemical makeup of it will be minuscule to that of the real deal. You might and, say it's going to be uh, interchangeable yet legally distinct. There you go. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that this program that that's got shelved. Thank goodness for Joe Manchin. I do have to mention. When you talk about those alternative treatments like ivermectin and stuff, and then natural therapeutics, there has been one senator who stuck up, I think, pretty much for the entirety of the pandemic. That's Ron Johnson. And he's actually held committees where he's brought in every expert that's been banned from everywhere to talk about things from like how using alcoholic-based mouthwash all the way up through things like ivermectin and, you know, some of those other therapeutics can, can – but they just – repress it and, and call him crazy and hope he retires. So, but he is probably one of the only voices in reason in, in that whole, you know, house and Senate. And it's, it's a shame right now. I saw today the big pivot because build back better is dead for the time being they're switching on to the voter integrity law bill, whatever the next piece of crap they want to pass. 
And Joe Biden did a commencement speech this morning. Bobby, I don't know if you saw it. It was in South Carolina, and he just basically talked about how everything was racist. And the only way for everything to not be racist is to pass this voter integrity bill, which would basically pad the polls with all of the same people that, you know, get money from the lobby groups and and make it a lot harder to be able to tell when there are inconsistencies in elections. Now, this is going to be the next big push. I know this thing isn't favored very well in the United States. We're, we're close to 80% of the, of the general population would like to see some form of voter ID. Also, voting streamlined a little bit more, especially how broad it was after, you know, in 2020 with the pandemic. What do you think about this next piece of legislation coming out they're going to try and force on us? And uh, how are ways that, you know, we need to just shut this thing down that you see uh, coming down the pike? Well, um, I was on a call with Ann Vandersteel about this, and she brought up a wonderful point. And I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense. And that is um, this, this bill might have been, they might have shelved Bill Back Better because of this case making it to the Supreme Court and passing the 90-day mark. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're, they're going to be proven as the criminals that they are. Because make no mistake, both political parties have been involved in colluding to steal elections across both sides of the aisle, across various degrees of all 50 states. This isn't this is a this is a this is literally a cartel of criminals. Our Congress has become a cartel of criminals, and they're they're they literally collude um, by behind closed doors. Now, I haven't had the time to look into this, but I want you to think about this for a second. That helps my case. If if once I find what somebody shared with me the other day. Um, they said, Bobby, did you know that during the Kavanaugh hearings, remember him for the Supreme Court? Oh, yeah. OK, that Democrats and Republicans were with that whole circus going on, were negotiating a new FASB bill, which is the Accounting Standards Board. Mm-hmm. They were negotiating a new FASB bill to prevent transparency of the budget process of the United States and what they were spending all this money on in, in various areas. That so so here they are acting like they 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 hate each other, right? In the public eye, and they're you know it was very contentious, and you know and then you know he brought his little binder, you know from grammar school or whatever, whatever <laughs> high school or college, and then meanwhile these scumbags are trying to figure out how to hide how our money is getting ripped off from us. Yeah, both sides. And so I really think we need to vote them all out. You know, like if I if I had a one, I would like get rid of I think I'd get rid of them all. Every single member of Congress, just a clean sweep. Just hit the reset button. And remember that on Coleco or even, you know, that's before your time. Maybe Nintendo, you like hit the little reset button. You go, boom, it's done. We're going to start with a clean slate of Americans that love this country. (laughs) Let's see what we got. Let's just let's just start. You know what? And I wouldn't even be opposed to saying, you know what? Whoever comes up with the first 10,000 pages of laws, everything else is getting trashed. Who's got the argument for the best 10,000 pages of laws? Why the hell do we have 80,000 pages of federal laws? It's a joke. It is a joke. You, You touched on that extensively last time and talked about it. And I thought it was one of the best points you made on how big that 
the federal laws and stuff have, have just exploded over the last, you know, 100 years, and it, it's ridiculous. And some of them are just absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Like, yeah. the, like really? So, you need to make a law yeah, about this? Yeah, so all, all joking aside, if Congress, if these guys try to pass this voter stuff, we're, our country is over. It's that serious. Yeah. This is this is, I think, our thin red line. There's a saying in the war about the thin red line. Uh, you cross it, right? You start a war. I do believe that if they pass this legislation, they will have carte blanche to steal any election anywhere on this on our soil, and it's going to lead to a shooting war. I think that that could happen. I mean, I, I know, and I know it's controversial to say such a thing, but if they if they if they rip off elections just so callous, you know, the, in your face and say, look, you cannot stop us. We're going to rip off whatever elections we want. Yeah, we don't we even need to hide care. anymore. What's that? They don't even need to hide anymore. They're just like, well, no, we're just going to do it. Yeah. yeah. And and I think, I, no think it can, it can, I, I hope that never happens. And I pray that that never happens. And so what I would say is every single American and everybody listening to your show, please write to not just your person in Congress, uh, right to right to, to as many people in Congress that are in your state against this and send it to them, uh, you know, both forms, electronically as well as physical paper. Uh, sometimes physical paper gets a better response than just electronic. And so I think um, I think it's that that important is it it I know I read that legislation and now I want you to wrap your mind around this for a second. Uh, with regards to this legislation, if it's the same stuff that they were trying to pass earlier this year by Parasite Pelosi. It is. So Parasite Pelosi, there's a guy um, who passed uh, the legislation. I think he's a senator from um, one of the states on the East Coast. I don't know if it's Maine or New Hampshire, but um, Sarbanes-Oxley. That's right. So Sarbanes-Oxley, I think it was Sarbanes, right? Sarbanes is the father of somebody who's now in the House of Representatives, whose name was ahead of Pelosi on the legislation. Think about that for a second. Oh. How the hell did this guy get his name on the legislation ahead of Pelosi, Speaker of the House? So Sarbanes, the Sarbanes-Oxley legislation that was passed 20 years ago, it literally put this massive amount of regulation in place to make it more difficult for companies in the United States to list publicly because you had all of these restrictions and compliance that ended up costing a small business anywhere from a million and a half to $3 million more in fees. And as a result, global corporations ran away with it because they didn't have to worry about that cost. They crowded out all new competition. So this was a huge gift to private equity, mezzanine capital, yep. because then people wouldn't go public, right? And by the way, if I get into the United States Senate, I will be looking to repeal and get do away with Sarbanes-Oxley entirely so that more companies can go public in this country and make it less restrictive. Let the investors decide if they trust somebody or not. Not, not, not these politicians that are compromised anyways, or as well as regulators who are compromised that do what they're told. Yeah. We've all seen that firsthand. So I'm bringing up this legislation, you know, this, 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 this relationship to Sarbanes-Oxley because the same, the same guy that created all this damage to our country, that's the guy's dad. 
that's son, that's the senator Sarbanes. And now his son's saying, Dad, I, I got you. I'm going to top what you did. Who are these scumbags working for? That's what I'm trying to understand. Who are these people? Like, what families are really pulling the string on these families within our Congress now? It's, it, it's the most ridiculous thing that you have, like, these legacies within Congress. Think about how big of a disaster that is in the college system, you know, yeah. like in sports or in. It's like, oh, my dad was here and my mom was here, so I get to come here and 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 ride off their coattails. Do you? Who wants that guy on the team? No, definitely <laughs> like, not. Anyways, no, it's true because then you wind up getting the people in there that literally have never worked a day in their life when their parents may have interned or grandparents generations before have worked for it. And uh, you, you start to see it's kind of a trickle-down effect that it doesn't do anything except lead to, like, you know, they feel entitled going in, so they're going to feel entitled to get as much as they can while they're there. And then when they're done, they'll quit, retire, get voted out, and then just go work for a lobby firm or big pharma or defense contractor. And it's like then they just keep recycling the same shit. And then when my kid's old enough, he'll run for Congress, and I'll be the person from the lobby group lining his pockets while he's in there. Hey, do you guys see the pinko rhino? <laughs> you see the patch? Yeah. You know who that is, right? You know what? I was going to bring it up. Bobby, last time Ooh. you were, last time you came on our show, it was like a week after you had called him out over the election integrity stuff. Just last night, it had caught up to him again. There was a town hall meeting in his district, and he went and lied to his constituents via commercial, via print in the newspaper locally in his congressional district saying he would not, under any circumstances, put his name on anything that had to do with a vaccine mandate and a vaccine database. And he wound up voting for both of them and then trying to tell his constituents, well, that's some of the things that are going to get worked out in committees behind closed doors. You know, you put your name on it at first and then that part of the bill might not even get into the final thing. Some dad, I'll send you, I'll send you the tweet on Twitter, called him out. He almost had to get restrained by security and Crenshaw's like, no, let him talk, let him talk. He's like, you're a fucking fraud and all you do is lie and every single thing you say that comes out of your mouth, you do the exact opposite. And I was like, nice. It's so weird that Bobby's coming on the show because we were there like four or five months ago when he called him out on the election integrity stuff and told him he was flat out wrong. I don't, I don't understand that shit where it's like, oh, it's not going to pass anyway, so I'm just going to say yes on it. It's like, what? Listen, why? whatever he did during his service time, great. Congratulations. You know, thank you for defending our country. He has been a complete he actor has and been fraud. a disappointment because I yep. was like, yeah. I mean, there was, a, there was an Instagram account that was doing like uh, Crenshaw for Presidente, you know, T-shirts right. and stickers, and I bought them. And I was like, "Yeah, this guy's cool." Crenshaw for president. Yeah. And by the way, Crenshaw, I I have a saying about Crenshaw. Crenshaw is like, uh, if you if you had um, if if Mitt Romney and George Bush had a son <laughs> together, it would be Crenshaw. And then if if uh, if George Bush and John McCain had a son together, it would be Adam Kinzinger. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Those two, those two are, those two are cut from the same corrupt cloth. The only thing they literally put the interest of globalism. Yeah. I mean, isn't it Kinzinger with, I think it was Kinzinger with um, Liz Cheney recently. Yep. Um, they, they just voted right alongside the Democrats on some issue. What was that issue? It, it was for the, uh, the CR. It was for passing the budget. 
Yeah. Yeah. They, they, and when we could have shut the government down, which a lot of people, a lot more Americans, when they polled them, were in favor of shutting the government down and kind of pumping the brakes on this whole administration and been like, listen, you've been burning this shit down since January 21st. We need to do a little bit of a reevaluation. Yeah. Hard then, pause. Yeah. Then you have 19 yeah. people in the House on the Republican side and 13 in the Senate, thanks to Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham, well, whip up enough support to get that thing passed till February. Yeah. Hey, by the way, I, I want to go on the record and say, under no circumstances would I vote for Mitch McConnell to be uh, uh, be the leader in the U.S. Senate if I get in there. Perfect. His new nickname for me is is the is the is the um, uh, uh, what is it? What was that? It was a it's a cross between a turtle and a and a turkey. <laughs> We've been calling him a turtle forever. The worst it's a, turtle. It's a, it's, it's a, yeah. He M- Mitch McConnell is kind of like a cross between a turtle and a turkey because. He's kind of he's as uh, he's as he's as as um, as slow when it comes to his mental capacity uh, as as the way a turtle walks, and then he um, he just like flutters around like a wild turkey. If you guys have seen that, right? Yeah. This this guy is just literally he's a disaster. Um, yeah, he's he's been a complete disaster. But he, this is where we the people should have been investigating um, his yeah. background. Him and his and wife. He, yeah, to see if his wife is compromised by the CCP, and and not just him. Now, this isn't just about Mitch McConnell. Um, we the NSA, we pay their bills, right? We should have the NSA give a report on every single member of Congress. Yes, and say, hey, these members of Congress, they made this many phone calls to this many different Chinese CCP officials. Here's how many minutes they spoke with all these damn officials. And here's all the meetings that they held on U.S. soil or overseas. And we should be able to see it. Say, what the hell did you spend on the phone 20 hours talking to this CCP, you know, uh, person? What You didn't even spend that much time talking to town hall meetings in the area that you're supposed to represent in the United States. What the hell are you working for? Yep. And we we need to go back to some good old-fashioned common sense and and check the damn receipts on on how these people are spending their time and money. You, know, you yep. talk about people like Nancy Pelosi, who's you know worth one hundred and thirty million dollars now, due to a lot of the insider trading that her and her husband have done over the last ten years. And you know, while she's occupying a, a congressional seat, it's just it's embarrassing. And, and they and they project so well as that everything they're doing is uh, you know they just blame it on everybody else when literally we've shown after they've gone after. The head honcho of the United States on, I believe, three occasions now and, and and two impeachments and found out that everything was just completely made up, fabricated or or lies that were produced by the people making the accusations, which is what I want to bring on to the next point. We have two things right now. So our foreign and domestic policies are trash. Uh, our borders are open. The economy's tanking. Inflation's through the roof. Uh, we had Peter Navarro on a couple weeks ago, and he gave a really good, uh, like, your 60 seconds on on this voter thing. He gave us, like, 90 seconds on stagflation. Yep. And, uh, you know, the only things we see coming from the other side of the aisle that that's anything are drive-by talking points highlighted with some file footage of January 6th and the death-o-meter of COVID. So this, this is the— Well, now the, it's the case-o-meter because there's not really— Right. But, you know, what I'm trying to say is, is that as they do nothing and continue to demolish this country from the inside out and and take it for every penny that it's worth, 
they're they're constantly doing these. These are like you know the next two versions of impeachment, as far as I'm concerned. They're a big distraction. They're a huge waste of money. Um, they're, they're definitely things that we need to take seriously. Like for instance, if anybody committed crimes on January sixth. Then they should get in trouble for it. But yeah. overwhelming majority of everything, you know, it, it was peaceful protesting. There was, we, we know for a fact already that federal law enforcements were involved and stuff like that. Like all that stuff's probably going to come out. And it's the same thing with COVID. If COVID is what the government said it was from the beginning, it should be taken super seriously. Uh, other than that, it's something that affects pretty much a specific demographic. Everybody else needs to just be careful. And that demographic is widely vaccinated already. Correct. And, and now we have normal people, just average Joes, that, that $125 million that you're talking, that number's probably plummeting now as people are getting fired for refusing vaccine mandates that have come out of it and stuff like that. So just based off those two things right there, the COVID narrative in January 6th, how could you touch on those briefly? Sure. So with regards to COVID, anybody who refused to get the jab in our military, our police, our fire, any government worker that refuse the jab for because it's it's literally public i call it public rape you know it's like you're being raped in public with a shot you're you're having something put into your body against your will it's no different than rape and it should be a crime and frankly any public official that is trying to mandate this or force it or threaten uh to extort people out of their job so to speak if they don't take it they should be charged with crimes. Yeah. I would push for legislation that they are charged with crimes for such behavior. But then everybody who refused to do it in our military and all the, especially starting with the protective services of our country, um, I would have them get their back pay reinstated, their job reinstated, all their benefits that they lost by doing the right thing and following the constitution and, and standing up for their rights and the rights of other Americans that they, they get made whole. Mm-hmm. And you might be asking Bobby, where are you going to get the money? And I say, it's real simple. You find all the companies that did this crap yep. and, and you make them pay the entire freight, all the freight. You say, you guys fired these people. You had them quit. No problem. We're going to claw back all those executive salaries we're going to claw back all those executive stock option plans. You guys are going to pay for it. We're going to front the money, we the people through our government, because these people did the right thing. You're going to pay for what you did. And by the way, not only are you going to pay all their back salary, you're getting fined massively. And I'm going to, I would even look into seeing if they should be prosecuted under RICO. Now, with regards to January 6th, I think that the people of California who have access to the data should examine how many people in the state of California have the name Ashley Babbitt. Mm. That's a really good way to start. Go and have someone with your data look at how many Ashley Babbitts there are. Go have a look at the, the locations of all these Ashley Babbitts and everything else. You know, I think you might be fascinated by what you might find. I just have a hunch based on other states uh, you should look, I would definitely recommend you look into that. Now, in terms of any other comments about it, I think it's an, uh, another witch hunt by yeah. corrupt elected officials. It's bogus. They are literally here. So let's look at last year. We have five rights protected by the U.S. Constitution under the First Amendment. Five rights. We have a right to religion. 
They shut down our churches, synagogues, mosques, whatever, every religious building in America last year. They tried to keep people out of there, right? So that's a violation of that right. They already corrupted the press. Freedom yep. of press, they, they, um, they've, they've corrupted that and co-opted it, and they've actually tried to silence anybody who speaks up, right? So now we have um, freedom of speech. That's where the censorship really kicks in. Yeah. So they, they deplatformed conservative voices and then, you know, that had big voices, individual people that were speaking up, silenced those. So they attacked freedom of speech. So then you have a right to assemble. So they tried to vilify anybody who is going to Trump rallies yep. as, a, as, a, as a criminal. So you're peacefully assembling. They send in the brown shirts Oh, under the guise of, you know, Black Lives Matter and other things, you know, uh, Antifa, which is anti-First Amendment right yeah. there. They said it right in there. Antifa, anti-First Amendment. They're literally trying to destroy the First Amendment of the United States. So that's the fourth thing. So what's the fifth thing that is the most important in the First Amendment of the United States? It is the right of us, we the people, to petition our government for grievances. Yeah. And January 6th was the assassination of the American people's right to petition our government. You know, I mean, can you imagine one person died on January 6th, right? And, and, or maybe two or something. Yeah. And how many, how many people have died by them violating the, their, 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 their rights or using a, a corrupt media to convince people to do things to harm their bodies with bioweapons. You know, what the hell is going on with the hundreds of thousands of deaths there? What about the fact that Congress went on a little bombing spree across the planet and ripped off trillions of dollars through fictitious accounting on the books? By the way, I told you the budget. Let's not forget that national debt. So even though they sucked in all this money and tripled the amount of taxes we're paying, the national debt held by the public went from about 24 grand per worker to 21, 22 trillion. So you're talking about 160,000. Oh. So it went up sevenfold. Jeez. So that we owe seven times as much money. Put it this way. We owe more money per American worker than the average American family now is worth. Yeah. So we technically you could say we're insolvent. When you, you know, on average, American families, aside from the, the, the groups that pretty much ran this scam against us. So January 6th was all about destroying the First Amendment of the United States. This bill that they're going to try to pass with this voting nonsense is going after number two. Yep. It's going after the Second Amendment. And I, I believe personally, we should have a right to carry nationwide. That should be a federal law. Yeah. Any state that tries to violate that law should have their federal funding cut off immediately if they did if they do that sort of nonsense. And in fact, I think we should we should hit the gas and 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 um, make sure that the price of ammunition in this country falls because there's a shortage of ammunition in this country. We need more bullets, not less. And we should drive the price down so that anybody can go and practice at the gun range at a much more affordable rate I than a buck a bullet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Yeah, when you're when you start uh, weighing your range trips by how much every magazine is costing you, yeah, 
Yeah, when I go to the range now, it's like I'm at home, like sorting out boxes of ammo to take, and I'm just getting really sad because you're depleting away. You know how much it's going to cost to replace it, but you still want to have a good time. <laughs> so I'm going to learn how to make my own. Oh. I've been looking at all, getting all the gear, so I can just start making my own bullets. And I, can't, I can't. I can't get into that. <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> just be careful. You don't want that stuff exploding. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. True, true. Bobby, this has been awesome as always. Again, we're, we're always going to have uh, time for you to come talk on our show anytime we want. We hope to catch you at least one more time before the election. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners where they could find you on social media? We'll link them in the show description today. Sure. Uh, I'm America 333 on uh, Twitter. And then uh, Bobby Python on Telegram. Um, Bobby Python on Gab. Uh, I set up a Bobby Python on uh, Getter as well. And I'm on Facebook. Or you can go to my site, bobbypyton.com, B-O-B-B-Y-P-I-T-O-N. If you want to sign up for uh, notifications, I think, on our uh, on our campaign or, or possibly donate some money to um, help uh, me get into the office. Once again, I can't do it alone, but I will tell you one thing. If you help get me into office, I'm going to fight like hell for um, – all the all all Americans, because I, I am an Americans and America first candidate. I'm not just about America first. I'm about Americans first, that we restore the U.S. Constitution. We put God first in this country, followed by the U.S. Constitution. And I do think that we'll pull through all this insanity and come out a much stronger nation uh, in the end. Making America great. If for anybody out there who's wondering what that means, that means we, the people, taking the power back. The Great Reset should be we, the American people, taking the power back from these corporate overlords who have stolen our power and our money and shackled us with debt over the past two, three decades. Now you're 100% correct, and our listening audience really Definitely appreciates when you come on the show and, and hopefully we'll continue to support you as you're running for Senate seat in the great state of Illinois. Mr. Bobby Python, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you so much for having me and God bless. Well, Christmas is in a week, so we're bringing home COVID for the holidays. What are you sighing for? No, it's your favorite part. Oh, I forgot. You Not getting it. fired for Christmas. I'm getting fired for Valentine's Day. Yes, we are. Well, we're going to have some interesting clips from the uh, resident of the United States this week as he mumbled through some incoherent speakings regarding this narrative. First of all, Jack, he doesn't care about your freedoms. He just wants to know what the big deal is about you not getting the vaccine. Listen here, fat. Take him out back and do jumping jacks. Band the jumping so everybody jack. talks about freedom and not to have a, to have a shot or have a test. Well, guess what? And so how about patriotism? How about making sure that you're vaccinated so you do not spread the disease to anybody else? What about that? What's the big deal? Peter, haven't we, haven't we like debunked the fact that you can still fucking spread it? Like that's a real thing. I don't think anybody doesn't know that's true. Jen Psaki shut his ass down the other day, Peter Ducey, when he asked the same question. Why is Joe Biden still lying and saying that people that are vaccinated can't spread COVID? And she's like, um, I did not hear that conversation. It was a local conversation, not a federal one. Wait, what? So yeah. What does that mean? What does that mean? That's that just is- another out. Like, well, let's have, why don't you uh, talk to the person who's not an employee of the federal government? <laughs> exactly. That's a, why don't you have, why don't you, we talk about a conversation that's not 
made by the federal what? Guys, it's okay because like when you have a substitute teacher, you do this little thing called staff shopping, right? You ask your teacher for something that you know you're not allowed to do in school, and when she tells you no. It's like parent shopping. Right? As soon as the substitute comes in, you go out and ask them. So <laughs> we had Jean, Pierre, Bleh. hitting it yesterday. So Peter Ducey decided to ask her the same question he Ooh, asked Jen Psaki. Nice. I, I love it. I love why it. is Joe Biden lying about? She didn't have the Jen Psaki ripcord ready? Nope. Quick. Oh, right. we gotta wrap okay, up. just quickly. Yep. Why is President Biden telling people still that the vaccinated cannot spread COVID? Uh, can, you, can you say more? Yeah, in a local interview on Tuesday, can he said, how about more? making sure you're vaccinated so you do not spread the disease to anybody else? The CDC says people who get vaccine breakthrough infections can be contagious. Well, I'll, I'll say this. I... I... I didn't hear this interview, so oh, I would have to no. see it in its full context. What I know and what the president believes is that we have to listen to the science. Uh, we have to listen to our public health officials, and that's what the president believes. Thank you. So he, he believes exactly what the Ever opposite. he says when he remembers it. <laughs> no, but he believes exactly the opposite of what the public health officials are saying. Even the ones I mean, that are on his team are saying answer, that you can still Her answer was it. better than, you know, talking. Yeah, but she did, like, this weird, like, hand thing, like, where she Plus was, she, like, like, tucked in all of her chins and was, like, did she? Yeah, yeah, you asked me that question. He's like, didn't I, I didn't, hear I didn't, yeah, I didn't see their visual, but she's like, you know, I sit in the chair right there anyway. when, when when she's talking, and uh, yeah, know. it's like I I seem to remember her, her telling you to fuck off last time. <laughs> she looks down a lot. She can't really even look at them because she's like, imagine being her up there having. Well, to she's end. probably got a uh, with the earpiece in her yeah. ear with somebody telling her what to say. She's got to focus, and then who knows? That's they true. probably got like a little like emergency readout board on like a, like a tablet or something where the people are shooting her like information. Well, God I forbid mean, she has to flip through a folder like McEnany did. If you, legend. if you probably want to know where Joe Biden gets some of his information from, oh, gosh. it has to be from Noah's favorite part of the problem. The back of a Geritol bottle. Dr. Fauci. Oh, fuck that guy. Merry Christmas. Mangala. Hang in there. This will end. We can get through well, even a winter surge a dark winter. by implementing the countermeasures that we have. Uh, Vaccinations, boosters, masks in indoor settings, being prudent in caring, for example, Genocide. about wearing a mask indoors. You can enjoy the holiday season with your family if oh, you're vaccinated thank you. oh, thanks. and your family members are vaccinated. Oh, thanks. You should even think about getting him a test in the garage. Hypothetically speaking, if you don't like Uncle Larry and he's not vaccinated, you could just <laughs> tell him he can't come to Christmas. Hey, my Uncle Larry died like last month. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's pretty sad. Really? Yeah, he went in for like a standard procedure and wound up dying. I have a few of my family, um, of my relatives in Europe, same thing. They just, they went in during all the height of COVID. They just had a cold and they... Put him under on a ventilator for no yeah, cause, reason. Because COVID's been been gone essentially in Arizona, so he went in for like a minor outpatient surgery. Something went wrong. Transferred to the hospital. Septic, like dead before my grandma could fly there. Shit. Yeah. Wow. Pretty crazy. Well, That's an opportune use of a name. Then. Speaking of people that are gonna <laughs> die, apparently it's all of us. Joe oh. Biden went off script yesterday, and I'm pretty sure he got beat by his handlers as soon as he dropped this bad boy out there talking about the dark winter. For unvaccinated, we are looking at a winter of severe illness and death for unvaccinated. Mm. For themselves, their families, and the hospital, they'll soon overwhelm. 
Oh, thank you. So if you're unvaccinated, yeah, if you're unvaccinated, you're looking forward to a a winter of death and despair for you, your family, and the hospital staff for the hospitals that you're going to overwhelm. Um, (laughs) so we know a lot of the same people. Uh I feel like a lot of the people that I I'm seeing getting a repeat COVID part deal. Those would have to be the or uh, trace <laughs> double vaccinated and boosted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, they're getting COVID again. That's unfortunate. Pain. It's it's like they it's like third time, fourth well, time. Do you have the clip of Fauci saying that? Uh, did we play it last week? I don't remember the uh the clip where he was saying that sometimes the vaccines can make it worse, and like the AIDS. No one did we play that last yeah, week? Yeah, and then we played uh Ron Johnson shitting on him for fucking up everything since AIDS. Yeah. So I think that was two weeks ago. But I mean, that seems like they're warming up people to the fact that, oh, sorry, you're getting it again because You might have leaky, HIV. <laughs> this leaky back yeah, now you got HIV. My bad. No, like uh the, they've already said did that. Did I the, do that? <clears throat> sometimes a leaky vaccine will, No, like the leaky vaccine is actually causing AIDS. Well no. <laughs> well HIV doesn't cause AIDS. No, the, the mutations caused by a leaky vaccine and would be by that rationale, the people who have the vaccine might be more susceptible to reinfection of said mutations. Mm-hmm. Just remember, everybody that's getting sick from these vaccines. I just got dizzy. That made me sound really smart. Peter Navarro alluded to it on our show and <laughs> clarified it on War Room. This was a vaccine that they needed to get out there for fat slobs who were going to die anyway of their multiple comorbidities. Population control, obviously. You know, And if you really think about it, if they want to vaccinate 8 billion people in the world, do you know how long it takes to make yeah, that many vaccines? It's like 30 years. We're going to give... So let's go Brenda account credit out. for that one. She made that one. Let's they should have just, just made vaccines in like a 44 ouncer. Let's talk about the root cause of this though. Wait, wait, hold on. Didn't the CDC, unless I'm it's, I'm wrong. I thought I saw a quick headline. I didn't get a chance to read the full article, but the CDC is considering taking the vaccine off the market because of all the shit that's happening. Well, the they, they pretty much canceled the Johnson and Johnson one yesterday. I uh, think that's probably like the start. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, wait. So uh, the Johnson and Johnson one's done. The Johnson and yeah, Johnson one's being to, yeah. pu- they're pulling it from the market due to so when people heart- are when people are being penalized for not getting the vaccine, hypothetically speaking, at their place of employment, and in the text of that uh, system of penalty, uh-huh. you have the option to get the. Johnson and Johnson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's what I was just going to say now, too. For the people that got their Johnson and Johnson booster and they're they're in compliance for their work and their jobs. And now they're no kids. longer vaccinated. They have to get the other one. That's what I'm thinking. I'm and like, how more, is this going to hurt? More vaccines than the homeless people are. You're going to die. No. Well, really? You just charge our banks. As we uh, close out our COVID, <clears throat> bringing it home for the holidays, we don't play the basic one enough on here nope because he doesn't do a lot of speaking events he's extremely vocal on twitter he will shit on people on the house floor but he actually sat down with matt gates this week to talk about the root problems with covid and that is rep massey Mm. yeah i thought you mentioned his name before i thought i missed it okay well we were were talking about how how good he was when, when we were in there with uh john and talking about 
candidates that were looking good in the House of Representatives for Speaker. He mentioned Massey, actually, which I think is a good thing. Um, but here's the thing. This is a bioweapon that was engineered in a virology lab in China that was released without our knowing to help stuff that was done in the Time Magazine article in addition to all of the uh, legacy fraud that went on in this country to create a perfect storm to completely fuck up the 2020 presidential election, lose control of the Senate and the House. And we are living, (laughs) but now moving forward, Rep. Massey points out now that we've had a year of extended COVID restrictions, allowing these vaccine vaccine mandates to go down, all this stuff, we've seen some of the elected officials on the Republican side, true colors. And and they are in in primary season, part of that incoming red wave that they're going to be out of there with. No one can only hope. Well, he, he called it out and talked about, how, how could you ever think about trusting a pro-mandate Republican and be called one ever again? Let, let's hear this little clip I pulled from his podcast with Matt Gates. How should we think about Republicans who are going along with the narrative from Dr. Fauci and the Biden regime and, and really big pharma that 100 percent vaccination ought to always be the goal and we ought to limit exemptions to the greatest degree possible? Uh, well, you shouldn't really trust them with your life or your vote, in my opinion. Uh, we forced this vote in other committees. I'm on, well, the Judiciary Committee. We yeah. had a vote on this to defund uh, vaccine mandates. Yep. We had a vote in Transportation Committee to defund vaccine passports and uh, mandates. In every single instance, the Democrats voted uh, for effectively for the mandates or the passports more power. We, I can't remember who we had one or two defectors in there on the Republican side. But let me go a little bit further. How did Biden seek to promulgate and enforce? Who was his army going to be for the three vaccine mandates that had been ruled out by the courts? He was going to weaponize the uh, OSHA, right? He was uh, in, in other agencies within the government, the contracting, federal mm-hmm. contracting process. He was going to weaponize that. He was going to weaponize CMS. And so anybody who thinks that we can uh, pet the rattlesnake when we're in the majority and feed it, which are these agencies, that they will be kind to us if we feed them. OK, better remember that nobody at those agencies told Joe Biden, hey, you're asking us to do something that's unconstitutional and illegal on its face. They just complied and they were gleefully and happily going to subjugate the American people and make them lose their jobs. And a lot of people already have. I guess think all facts. And I like the fact that he points out not only was there a few Republicans who defected, but it was those federal agencies when he clearly presented them something, you know, like OSHA and, and, and the Transportation uh, Authority and, and things like that, something that was clearly unconstitutional as it's getting held up in court, he said they willingly and gleefully just did his task because they knew the heads of all their, you know, uh, federal offices would just be replaced with people who would do it if they didn't. Yeah, that was the whole point of, like, everything, too, like weeding everybody out, like, that were compliant and were not, and they know that the ones that are are going to carry on and follow orders i just think that uh you know moving forward this is going to be one of the big we hear from all the candidates we bring on this is going to be one of the the things that they really smash down as soon as they're in there uh after the midterm elections round and third now heading home last segment kind of a montage of a pretty well they're all awful weeks for the brandon administration but (laughs) 
I was able to pull another clip of Nancy Pelosi. Same night, few drinks later, talking about how the last 11 months have been nothing but an overwhelming success. Let's hear her slur through this part of her speech right now. I want to thank all of you for what you are doing. This is an historic time for our country. I know no one has ever said to you, this well, is technically the most she's important not wrong. election of our time. Mm. But this is, this is very important because it's not just about policy. It's not about politics only. It's about patriotism. No. It's about our country. It's about our democracy being on the line. Oh. And, and we have to work very hard. I said to the members, are you all making a decision to win the election? If so, we have to make every decision in favor of winning the election. That's what you're doing by helping the Democratic National Committee. We thank you for that. We salute the leadership of the committee, Jamie Harrison. So wonderful, Chris. Thank you for your leadership as well. But thanks to each and every one of you. Know your power and all of this. We're all super patriots. No, it's called we have majority. To, we yeah. have to do everything we can in our power to save our democracy. Life oh. and steel. And isn't, oh, you gonna I give it just, I just want to tell you this one thing. This president. Mm, you're gonna get he, it now. He orchestrated a bipartisan infrastructure bill with this great, which is great. But what he said too was, I cannot confine my vision for America to only what is in that bill. He oh, scissor me timbers. Better. Build that better for our children, for women, for America, to save the planet, to, to advance women in the workplace, because we believe that when women succeed, America I succeeds. Two of them. So, Mayor. Mary, whatever you're celebrating. Mary, huh? this, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Hanukkah, a little belated. But thank all of you for what you do. You're in for a super treat for the holidays when we soon hear from the President and the Vice President of the United States. Barf. Even though they don't get along or talk to each other. Somebody get me a nightcap sitting next to each other. I mean, it's not like she drank, but then like did a couple of lines before she got up there so she could be uppity. Well, <laughs> no. It's pretty interesting that you brought... First of all, that whole narrative was fucking complete lies. Yeah. Everything. Everything. The last seven months have been zero for patriotism. It's been the complete opposite. Yeah. Obviously, it's, it's going to be... It's been something. this country is evil and this country is bad and... But but in the last week, we have heard Kill Dog, the press sec, Uncle Brandon, Fauci, and now Nancy all using the word patriot. It looks like they're going to be hitting it on a little bit of a rebranding heading into the midterms. Exactly. Is not going to work. Zero not percent going to work. No. I mean, their base, they, they've never, they have never heard them speak that way. So then they're going to start looking at them like, hmm, this is like more of the right, you know, sort of speak. So what's going on here? Yeah, but well, yeah, they're definitely trying to rebrand and get like the moderates back and and switch up a switch it up a bit but yeah like you said it's not going to work come on who well it's like they're they're trying to like use the patriotism thing like it's a gimmick like oh if i say these tag words then people are going to be like oh let me go over on your side right. patriotism yeah, we know what their version of patriotism means it means their elitism you know it's all about them and their power patriot actism there you go. <laughs> ah, zing. Chuck Schumer's Back. like, yes. Yes. <laughs> you, well, it's pretty funny that Noah brought up the fact that Kamala and, and Brandon aren't talking to each other because according to Corinne Jean Pierre, they're completely fine and 
getting ready to fire up the 2024 machine. <laughs> they're, they're, uh, I can't even listen to this they, without they laughing. They play Scrabble together on their phones all the time. And she was asked if she assumed that Biden would run again. And she didn't say yes. She just said that the two of them hadn't talked about it. Of course, you all and the president himself have said that he does plan to seek re-election. So what's the disconnect here? Well, oh, I, I mean, I can't speak to a conversation that sure, the vice president and the president has. I could only say what and reiterate what reiterate. Jen has said and what the president has said himself, that hey. he is planning to run for re-election in 2024. I, I don't have any more to add. But, to. but just to be clear, when the president says he plans to run again, he, he means with Harris on the ticket. Yes, he does. There's no change. Yes. Yes. How fucking awkward is that? That was really awkward. I mean, if you had asked President Trump now, like that was the, the question most awkward Mike laugh Pence, I've ever heard. After the events that would happen, he's like, "Yeah, I don't really know. I oh, like him, but yeah, man. he's a good guy, kind of a pedophile. I don't know. He kind of <laughs> let us down on January 6th. <laughs> what then, did he say? Mortally wounded. It was really yeah. good on GI Joe. That was about so, it. Modern day Judas. It's about it. Do you guys think that this whole feud or like this like shade towards each other is legit between him and Harris? Why, or there, would, or, why wouldn't or it be? Sort of, I don't know. I mean, or is it some like sort of optics, you know, like like they're creating like a scenario like for a reason why they would maybe she would go, he would go, I would go. I don't know. I just I feel, feel like, like it, there's not enough for it to be like a legitimate distraction. And no. it's not enough yeah. to yeah, it's not, be laying you know, the groundwork for anything substantial. I think it's legitimately just like she thinks he's a fucking idiot. And he's a completely empty suit. It's yeah. just funny because the media is actually reporting on it, you know. Too. Well, maybe one of the clones like, you know, grabbed her ass or something. <laughs> well, or sniffed her a little too close. In our last clip of the day, and we are going to end on a goodie, Tucky kind of weighed in on the DOA that is the administration. Literally. Now, even being championed by his own constituents, which is the Democrat Party. This, You can start to feel a little sad for Joe Biden. He's been in office less than a year, and nope. already his own supporters are measuring his coffin. <laughs> but of course they are. This was always going to happen. Yep. Professional Democrats are not sentimental people. They're stony-hearted realists. Let's be honest. He Joe Biden has coffin. served his biological purpose. He stopped Bernie Sanders in the primaries. He there made America is. safe for private equity. Yep. Carried interest is still in the tax code. Mission accomplished. So it's time to pull Joe Biden off the stage before he gets even older and less popular. <laughs> That's what they're thinking. It turns out supporting Joe Biden was never about any specific ideology. We on the right fell for that one. But these people have no interest in principles or ideas. Loyalty is a foreign concept to them. They care only about power. It's kind of scary, really. Thankfully, this same group is also stupid. Stupidity <laughs> is their one redeeming quality. If they were smart, they'd take over the world. They're certainly ruthless enough. But thank God they can't do that because they're too limited by their own bigotries and their tiny intellects. How dumb are these people? Well, they assume that everybody else is just like them. And that's always the hallmark of true stupidity. Mm. These are the geniuses who believe Salvadoran immigrants want to be called Latinx. They can believe that because they don't talk to Salvadoran immigrants. They only talk at them. So they have no idea that the average Salvadoran has social views that are so terrifyingly right wing, they would be banned on Twitter instantly, assuming Salvadoran immigrants actually use Twitter, which most of them don't because they're smarter than CNN anchors. Remember when Nancy Pelosi was out there a couple of years ago talking about MS-13 when they were terrorizing Salvadoran immigrant communities and she was assuring us they were little angels, they're children of God, she said. Mm. CNN never sent a camera to an actual Salvadoran community 
to ask what they thought of MS-13, the people terrorizing them. What do you think we should do with MS-13? Well, cut them into small pieces and feed them to the dogs. That would have been the answer. Didn't see that on CNN. <laughs> What's their views on the trans community, you'd have to wonder. They're not putting that on the air either. CNN hasn't even thought about doing those interviews. Thought. Because they assume they don't need to. The people at CNN believe that everyone who didn't vote for Donald Trump must have the same opinions and concerns as the average dingbat trustafarian in Bozeman. I like that. They imagine a world populated entirely by people like themselves. Well, what, CNN thinks the world's populated by child molesters? No, they are the child molesters. Oh, right. And I just think that... Uh, you know, kind of an interesting news week. A lot of ups and downs, a little January 6th, a little Julian Assange, a little deep state mixed in with all the other bullshit that's going on that really affects the everyday life of the average American. And uh, we just try to bring it to you with a little bit of commentary. And uh, as we're getting ready to wrap here and jump into our last segment with our last guests, we'll uh, welcome them in right now. All right, coming in last today on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, we're welcoming two of our loveliest visitors in a while yeah. since, since we have a overwhelming majority of America first male candidates. Not that anything's wrong with that, but not we, that they're not lovely. No, they are all lovely and definitely America first, but so are both of these ladies, Jeannie and Kathleen from breakthrough ideas. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us on. Well, it's our pleasure. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Yeah. Yep. Well, we're glad getting to ready have for you. Christmas. Yeah, we're all getting ready for Christmas. Hopefully people are buying things from MyPillow because so you'll get them on time instead of from Amazon and they might be delayed till after Christmas, right? Use a code steak. At checkout for 66% <laughs> off. There you go. Uh, well, let's get right down to it. Breakthrough ideas. Why don't you let our listening audience know exactly what it is and what you guys are doing with it? Well, we are a suburban-focused policy advocacy group, and our whole mission is to connect the dots on policy for suburban voters, especially, and we're starting out, of course, in the Chicago suburbs, uh, suburban voters who, you know, have busy lives, busy jobs, a uh, lot going on in their life, and for whatever reason, don't see through the misdirection and the lies of the politicians, especially mm -hmm. those in the Democrat Party in Illinois, uh, to vote the right way, because we... We, we honestly believe that 51% of the people in this state are not crazy. We think they just don't know what they don't know about policy. And if everybody had it explained to them in a concise manner, uh, that they would probably make a different decision when they go to the polling vote, uh, place and they vote. And we're also here because it's one of our particular favorite things to do is to hold the media accountable for their misdirection and lies as well. Oh, Kathleen, like do you want to add to that, Kathleen? No, I would just say right now we're really involved in the pushback at the school level the with um, with school boards. And we've um, just seen our own um, Illinois Teachers Association, Education Association go the route of Terry McAuliffe in Virginia mm. um, and just say they filed um, they intervened in a lawsuit against Governor Pritzker to prevent him from um, forcing the mass his mass mandate on kids. Um, overruling local school districts. And so um, we're thrilled that they've taken the position that um, parents should not be involved in schools and don't have a say, and they know what's best for your kids because it did a lot of damage to the Democrat Party in Virginia. And we're going to make sure that it damages the Democrat Party in Illinois. Now, now I want to stay on that real quick. And, and it's interesting that you guys are mm -hmm. talking about working at the local level so much. You, you see things like... Uh, you know, I, I saw this week there was a couple really big instances of school board meetings where parents were just blowing up with, uh, you know, they're doing like 
pseudo gender reassignment via like your guidance counselor. Um, yeah. you know, and it's one yeah. of those things where I, I did see one mom at a school board meeting this week talking about how like on her kid's actual profile, they changed the gender, they added pronouns, all this stuff without the mother's consent or knowing. And, and basically the school was helping them through this process of, of transitioning without any knowledge of the parents whatsoever. And they were even to the point to where they were teaching the, the kid, basically coaching them how to hide it at home just to act normal at home. And, and here is where in school, you're supposed to be getting a formal education. It's where you're free. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So three quick things about that. One in 19 in 2019, a guy named Jay Keck wrote an, a USA Today article about the situation with his daughter at Hinsdale mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, Central High School where she and he fully admits she's on the autism spectrum kind of fell in with the idea that maybe she should, she's really a guy. And um, he went to the school specifically saying, you are not to buy into this. You're not to do anything. You're supposed to treat her as a girl. You're not to do anything behind his back. The school district did the opposite and fed her dysphoria against the parents' wishes. That was in 2019 in a prominent, wealthy high school district in the state of Illinois. And the reason I say that is because a lot of people are like, oh, that's somewhere else in California. No, it's not. It's right here in the Western suburbs. Number two on that issue is that uh, just recently, Western Springs, a school district there, um, uh, it was like a middle school, um, had a sort of um, you know, clandestine sort of meeting discussion about, hey, you know what, come to this meeting, you know, talk with some counselors, let's figure out things, you know, if you if you need to, if we can talk about what's going on in your family or in your parents, I mean, this is what they want to do. They want to insert themselves into the family. Number three, both Kathleen and I, our kids at our local high school um, have the same teacher for two different classes. One's English, one's journalism. And uh, unfortunately for her. Yeah, unfortunately <laughs> for her that she got us as the parents because the second day of class, she sent around a, a sheet uh, to the kids, a getting to know you sheet. And like the third question was, what are your pronouns? Mm. Well, uh, trust me, that is not happening again, at least in that classroom, because we shut that down ASAP. Yeah. And I mean, there's just there's case after case of this. The lines are pretty clearly drawn right now. And it's not this is not the first time in history this has ever happened where the state, you know, the debates between does who raises the kids? Does the state raise the kids? Does the do parents raise the kids? America is typically cited, uh, you know, on the side of parents, except for a few exceptions where there was, you know, a special need like the parents were unable to or unfit parents. Um, But we've uh, by and large been on the side of parents until recently. And we've all of these weird ideas that have cycled around in academia have kind of filtered their way down. And now you see schools and unions, teacher unions making overtures um, to come literally drive a wedge between student and, and um, parent be, with the, some, some of this curriculum. Um, and it's, you know, it's because they know you control the minds of this next generation, then yeah. you can control the next hundred years. Absolutely. That's the thing. It's like, why do little kids need to think about pronouns? Like all the stuff that they're bringing up, it's like, like, okay. So if a kid's, you Mm -hmm. know, feeling weird in his own skin and, you know, feeling certain ways or whatever bridge uh, across that bridge, when you get to it, when the kid's like, yeah, you know, something's weird, blah, blah, blah. Don't like give them the information and be like, oh, well maybe this is you. It's just like, you're kind of implanting these seeds of, 
doubt into their heads. You know, just it's Mm -hmm. the same as, you know, telling an African-American child that they are disadvantaged and less. It's just a terrible way to to bring up youth. Especially when your school district could pay somebody like uh, Ibram X. Kendi $20,000 an hour to come and tell as an African-American, African-American kids that you suck because you're black, but because I'm black, I'm getting $20,000 to tell you that you suck because you're black. And, makes, I, it, it and I don't it, suck. Well, and, and meanwhile, test scores, at least in Illinois, have gone over the past five years, just down, 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 down. Same. So yeah. we're Same taking away from core curriculum that they actually need to know mm-hmm. um, to fill their heads with you know, kind of this propaganda that will train them to be activists. Yep. Well, so test, you test guys scores are, are going to go up in Washington, right? Because they're getting rid of D's and F's. They're, getting, a, they're voting to get rid of D's and F's in California. Yeah. And now, now yep. all, that would have been good for me when I was in school. There's a whole bunch of blowback. Mm-hmm. They had assessment tests at my kid's school recently, and there was a lot of atrocious grades that went home, especially in mm-hmm. math, reading comprehension, and writing at their grade level, like atrocious grades. I sent my daughter's teacher an email. Well, there's some reading comprehension issues the people we work with. She didn't answer it. And then on the today, which is the last day of school, she slid an email out to the parents this morning, and it was like this whole thing like, hey, it's just like an assessment for the assessment. And then there's like this little disclaimer at the end. She's like, we really want the parents to know that because of the <laughs> pandemic and we weren't <laughs> around the kids. Oh, uh, she's, don't get me started. We really can't, you know. Try to hold we can't be to, held accountable. Yes, that, that's basically yeah. what she said. No, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm they're, to my they're not to blame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, like I said, they're trying to get rid of D's and F's in California. They already have an Oregon. They're they're voting on it in Washington for next school year, and it's just like, why wasn't those like this? They, when I was they a kind kid? of did that. Here. They've already done that kind of here. Basically. You can't get less than a fifty yeah. percent on any assignment, yeah. and even if you, you know, leafly Glen <laughs> Ellen. Mm-hmm. You know, which is like one of these rich suburbs, mm-hmm. you know, these. So I don't know what they're thinking. And that's it's a very, very wealthy suburb where less than 50 percent of the kids read or do math at grade level. So mm-hmm. it's wholesale. But, I mean, even if terrible. you're caught cheating where like right. it should be mm-hmm. thrown out because you're cheating. Right. They still give you 50 percent. Oh, that's it's that's absolutely crazy. just it's not a There's recipe no for excellence. Mm-hmm. It's really not. And just like for me, myself, like thinking about when I was in school, like I was a barely on the board grade student because I was into other things. You know, I was above average in English. I was into like art and mechanical stuff and all this other stuff. And like, if you would have told me that I couldn't fail and that I didn't Mm -hmm. really have to apply myself in the stuff that I didn't like, like I wouldn't even have the grasp of those subjects that I have now, which is, you know, some of it barely anything Mm -hmm. just because Mm -hmm. I didn't apply myself. I just can't imagine what this is doing to the level of education that we're going to get out of these kids. It's it's wild. Yeah, ladies, well, the, go ahead. Go ahead. While I was growing up, no, I had a hard time in school only um, because at that time I felt the curriculum was like I was ahead of the curriculum. Like I would literally mm-hmm. not be paying attention because yeah, I was so mm-hmm. bored, and I was I would I wouldn't even try or study, and I would do really well. Uh-huh. But I can't even imagine what it's like now. Like my son just came home and he's like, I I went to my guidance counselor and asked to be put into like advanced level classes because I'm so I just he's like, this is so stupid. And there's all these kids in there. that He's like, it's just not even interesting. And the teachers would get upset if you knew something mm -hmm. that it's like it Mm -hmm. was like there was so many ego and power trips, too. When I was growing up at at that time, you know, in, in grade school, I'm 35 now. But like I can't even 
I would not even be able to deal with being in school right now if I am the person that I am, mm -hmm. like that I was back then. Oh, it I just... was a terror. I, they tried to put me on ADHD medicine. Oh, well, but, yeah. So, but are you guys all sort of millennials? Negative. Negative. No. Oh. oh, just Erica. No, that's okay. Yeah. No, just I mean, Erica. I'm just. I mean, what's with that? What's with the millennial parents? Ugh. What's with? Oh, I don't know. I'm 35. I've got two. One 14, one three. I don't. I don't, know. I, I, I don't know how those millennial parents get up in the morning and get all dressed up to go take their kids to school. Like I see them, uh, I'm dropping my kids off in their pajamas and they got their hair blow dried, makeup on. They're wearing like their the byproduct of like growing up with social media. Yeah. Always, always be ready. They're all hot topic <laughs> out. And I'm just like, well, you got to have your makeup and your hair done to go to the gym. After I'm you drop always told me do not leave the house without as, at least That's some true. chapstick on. That is, true. you know, you need to look like a lady. Don't embarrass mm -hmm. her family. You know. <laughs> Oh, I used to. My mom, yeah, you look like nobody loves you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get shamed into dressing up to leave the house. I used to never yeah. leave the house unless I like had shaved, and now I'm just like, me, whatever. Yep, homeless yeah. it is. Yeah, I'm like so, whatever. You know, the I mean, that's past in now, years though, of COVID, so. it's like you know, I kind of let go a little bit. Who cares? Yeah, everybody's wearing a mask anyway. I mean, I don't, but it's like. I will say this, though. Is it generational? Some of what we see going on, is it really a millennial issue or is it does it transcend all that? And is it really more a I don't know how your parents raised you issue more than anything? And I, I think that that is really the case. I can't I don't want to blame a lot on the millennial generation because I myself have some millennial kids and they're as conservative as me. Otherwise, they don't get Christmas presents. But, <laughs> you know. I, I, I do I do worry though about the direction of our nation. No, I agree. I, I think it is the parents for the most part. I don't think it's like a millennial issue. I think yeah. that social media um, media devices and all of that sort yeah. are you know, and these radical leftist teachers who have infiltrated yeah. everything mm -hmm. um, are raising our kids and our kids are being brainwashed. You know, and I grew up very strict conservative catholic albanian like eastern european family mm -hmm. and i could go to any school liberal school and i i would come out and i'd be totally fine i would never they would never be able to indoctrinate me if mm -hmm. that makes sense my parents came here i'm first generation they experienced communism and socialism they didn't even have to have these conversations like you know about right those things you know like are we we assimilate my parents assimilated came here for the american dream but mm -hmm. we did not change our culture and our values at home so you behave a certain way when you're out of the house you better make us look good you know like mm -hmm. my dad was very old school i'll beat your ass if you if you do if you make a mistake sort yeah. of yeah. dad oh, yeah. you know yeah. now like kids get away with everything there's no accountability um their parents are not their parents they're like more like their friends or pushovers and and parents are, are like finding things out way too late you know, when things get real, go really far before, like, they can save them from themselves, you know, and I think that has a lot to do with it, your upbringing, the parents paying attention and, and all of that, you know, and I think there's like, that for me is the most part, you know, and then but now also it's hard for parents because of the access that these kids have to mm -hmm. the outside world, you know, that I didn't have Excuse at the time. One yeah, that's a, those, those are some excellent oh. points there. You definitely see a lot of this generation not coming from a strong maybe hand at home. Well, that's the thing. It's like growing up as a kid, like there is, there is a plus and minus of giving a kid too much freedom or not enough freedom. 
Exactly. And I definitely benefited from getting my ass beat with a belt. Yeah, me too. Or a wooden spoon. It was I mean, I was the occasions. oldest, and I was I was good. I never really, I never got into trouble. My mm. dad just, my dad would like smack me in the back of the head, and my siblings when he'd come home from work and be like, "Oh, what the hell was that for?" He'd be like, "In his strong European accident, just in case you're thinking of anything, <laughs> just in case, like as a reminder." And you know what? I laugh about it now, but I appreciated it because my dad saw saw things that. You know, I was really smart and really aware of myself and, and people in my surroundings, even as a young girl, child, you know, even. But I saw that my dad could see through everything, yeah. you know, and the dangers yeah. being a woman as well, you know, like how dirty guys can be, you know, how just people are corrupt in general. And being in America, it's a free for all in his mind as a European, you know, coming here and I'm being, you know, first generation. So, yeah, it's all those like worries and being afraid just because you didn't want your to lose your child to what you heard when you mm -hmm. were in Europe before you came to America. Like, oh, my God, you know, just don't let them turn like the, the American kids go crazy, you know. But where I grew up, it happened to be a little different. Like they, a lot of kids grew up that it, that were American for generations had a similar background and were more conservative and, you know, but I mean, I, I think to your point, what's happening in a larger, like with, um, in terms of punishment and what, how parents react, it's, it's defining clearly here's an appropriate, here are our values. And here's when you've crossed the line on those. And here's when you, and what you have is not necessarily parents, not like spanking versus times out. It's, you have, a whole um, culture that's set up to blur those lines with your kids on a steady, like a, in a on a steady regular basis. So you have schools that are set up to blur those lines. You have shows and TV and and social media, social media. And, and music and and video games and all is all of that is set up to blur the lines that you're laying down as a parent. And that's where we're kind of having, I think we're having a lot of problems. Well, it's a lot harder now because mm -hmm. they're being the kids, as opposed to when we were growing up, we weren't as bombarded by so many mm -hmm. things at once. That's right. And it's like a war against the parents right now to try to save our children. Because it's like, you know, if, if you're a busy parent, you try you try really hard. You're aware of all these things. Right. You, mm -hmm. you will find a way around, you know, because of curiosity and, you know. Well, so you guys are located in California, right? We the are. Antoinette's in Vegas. Okay. So, I mean, like uh, we, if you guys could stop being crazy, maybe it'd stop coming over to Illinois. That'd be nice. <laughs> uh, that's one comment. Um, <laughs> I mean, the other comment is, is like, I, I just don't, um, I don't know where this all ends. I, I, I really don't. I get, I get a little bit concerned about, um, about people paying attention. Uh, you got a little bit of a wake up going on on school boards, things like that. Uh, there's, you know, but uh, you don't have a lot of people like stepping up to the plate to volunteer to run for office when actually, and, and people ask me, why are you involved? Why did you decide to run? Because guess what? Political power matters. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. if you don't, if you hold office, we've seen what in 10 months, what Biden has done to this country. Exactly. That yeah. None of that would have happened had it been Trump. I, I, oh my God. None of that would have happened had it been, I, you know maybe even some other Democrat. Right. Yeah. But this far left progressive agenda is only made possible because people voted for it or allowed it to. It's like yes. a conservative yeah. yes. want to be left alone. You know, you do your thing, do what you want. But they've been planning this for so yeah. long. These people yeah. don't sleep. It's yeah. like 
it's like demons. They don't, don't want to leave you alone. They don't no. want to leave you on, alone. You're not to be left alone. You're, you're to be, you're to be um, controlled mm-hmm. and you're to pay up. I mean, and I, I think when are we going to have that real reasonable discussion? Like how much of my work do you, do I owe to somebody else? Well, and that's the tricky. Well, I mean, the reasonable discussion piece of it is really tricky because they present everything in these really nice sounding kind of trite oh, yeah. messages. Mm-hmm. And you, I mean, probably what people actually believe what believe in the, like those that really like hardcore left is probably about 20% of any, um, you know, organization or, mm-hmm. you know, you have, there's voters and then there's mm-hmm. these institutions like the media and like, and I, there's a, um, it's a, it's a physicist and I can't think of his name, but the concept is called renormalization. And he basically says what they've done is all you need is like 20% of an intransigent minority to get everyone in a company in the middle to just fall your way because they just don't want to deal with Mm -hmm. it. They don't want to fight. If you can make it sound nice, they'll go, they'll they'll go along with it because they just don't want to deal with it. Um, So you probably have like really like 20%, but they've conditioned sort of that squishy middle to go along with them and to fall their way. Um, So that's what you've ended up with in the media. And there's now a culture around that. And in academia, there's certainly a culture around that's probably gone a little deeper in academia, but in these corporations that are, you know, supporting black lives matter and Antifa and you're like, are you out of your minds? But, Right. right. But that's what's happening is that they're just giving into this loud minority that just won't go away versus face the consequences. So it seems like everybody, but it's really not. I was telling a group of people that last weekend. It's yeah. it's not. And people feel like a lot of people feel really demoralized right now. Mm-hmm. They don't realize that those people are the minority, but they're a very loud minority and in certain mm-hmm. positions, which makes it a yes. little more difficult. Yes. But if people on our side, just learned how to really organize and start mm-hmm. pushing back and stop fighting so nicely. Yeah. We need to start. Well, that's what we're that. about. That is exactly yeah. what breakthroughs are like, about. We are there to organize the grassroots, well. you know, <laughs> push back vigorously mm-hmm. to connect dots on policy so that the suburban voters understand the game that's been played against them for decade after decade by feckless politicians. And quite frankly, in Illinois, on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the reason we're suburban focused is because at least for us, that's where the fight is. That's where you're going to make a difference when it comes to state legislative um, control and th- the governorship. And so mm-hmm. that's why our fights in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's one of those things that it couldn't come at a better time. You know, we've talked about all this stuff with like the, uh, the collusion that's going on with teachers and counselors and school administrations, mm-hmm. the way they're literally yep. physically changing kids the demoralization of the grading system and it's worth, how is that going to do anything for these kids in other parts of their life? If they learn, they don't have to do anything to just get passed along. It's going to set up a really bad precedent for the country. And then you talk about some of the things that we really haven't touched on too much yet is like the critical race theory or now school boards are like changing the pronouns of critical race theory to other words to make sure that Mm -hmm. it's not critical race theory that's getting taught. Deep equity or whatever. Right. All that other. And and I I think that's transformative. social. you know, that would be a funny uh, Facebook meme. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I'm critical race theory. Here are my pronouns. But I identify as transformative social emotional learning. learning. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's all actually critical theory. Yes. Yeah. Which is Karl Marx's philosophy and Sigmund Freud's and. Yep. 100%. And it leads Mm -hmm. to the eventual breakdown of pretty much society. 
yes, when, when it's allowed right. to carry it out. And I, and I like that stat you gave before about how the 20 cents can get like the blobby middle. It kind yeah. of, it kind of, it kind of falls back on like, if I like, like the blobby middle. <laughs> yeah. middle. Sometimes I'm the blobby middle. <laughs> but there We've you all been <laughs> You have a. Uh, our wait a minute. Our governor is the blobby. Oh God, middle. Yeah. Well, yeah. Agreed. <laughs> but we have had this thing probably more prevalent over the last decades: the trans narrative in the United States. <laughs> like, you can be whatever you want, but to have one point two-ish percent of the entire population. And then when you really break down the numbers of that demographic of the population, how many either decide to stay or go, you know, it's one of those things where you would think every other person on the street that you interact with is a transgender person yeah. just based off. I mean, we see it in the Olympics. We see it at embassies. The over-representation. Right. Embassies yeah. in Muslim countries. And, you know, we see it everywhere all over the world and, and from the United States. And it's just one of those things like, They've controlled a lot more than the blobby middle in that narrative. Mm -hmm. And if that's the model for how they can swing public opinion to where it's like nationwide, mm -hmm. it's in sports, you know, it's in government. And just imagine what they could do with critical race theory, with gender reassignment in schools and the destruction of the grading system. And it, you take all four of those things and put it together. We don't have much of a society in 20 years. Well, fortunately, it's Christmas season <laughs> and it's a time for hope hopefulness. Mm -hmm. Right. No. Well, I was going to say that. Thank God. During this Christmas season, we have places, groups, friends like Breakthrough Ideas who are out there doing it at the grassroots level right now and, and really pushing back on those narratives. So the future looks a whole lot brighter. Yes. Thank so, you might look really bad now, but I think that what's happening, like I've said it so many times, is so necessary. It's all of this stuff has been happening for so long. It's just been accelerated. It's clarifying. Yeah. yeah. Actually, people are waking mm -hmm. up to it and they're seeing it for what it is because now they're just becoming so mm -hmm. brazen, you know, and that's a good mm -hmm. thing. Now we know where we have to attack, mm -hmm. what we have to fix. And people are rising up every single day. So there is hope. You know, I don't I, just, I don't understand some people. I guess, you know, there are people have days where they're, you know, they're doomers and they're like, ah, oh, you know, this is so frustrating. But. I think what's happening now is ultimately going to lead to, to some amazing things. And just like mm -hmm. Trump said, the best is yet to come. And I truly believe that after yeah. all of this is said and done, we're going to have a, a nice, fresh slate and hopefully a swamp would have been completely yeah. dreamed, you yeah. know, and then, then we will know the signs and, and what to look for to yeah. never let it, let it happen again, because this has like been long overdue. You know, we were very close to losing everything. If, she won yeah. the election, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, gets, that's hard to remember in like the day-to-day right. -day fight that's when right. it's so frustrating and you feel like you're just handed like mm -hmm. you're just running to brick wall after brick wall. But like we are working toward the longer goal of the 2022 election, 2024 election where that's real right. change can happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 2023 for our locals. 20, yeah. Yes. Very important. Very important. Yeah. The good Definitely. thing is that the further down the road of insanity that we get is, I mean, you the wild ideas can't help but cancel out the other wild ideas because they just get so far off in the weeds and then it just yes, makes more people it, understand what's going on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I do agree that the wild ideas uh, it will probably be halted or diminished to some degree. The problem though, 
is that when you give up your liberty, it is so much mm-hmm. harder to get that liberty back. Yes. Oh, yeah. It is a huge monumental effort. And what we have seen mm-hmm. is a continuation of people just giving up a little bit of liberty here or there. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but still in Illinois, people are, are masked still to the hilt. Yeah. It's yeah. depressing. And they, our, our county yeah. is like 90% backs with what, I mean, even five to 12 is really high. Yes. Yeah. That's awful. And the people are just giving up their Liberty mm-hmm. and that is, it's, it's even scarier than what's happening in schools. Mm-hmm. Just with the mass compliance now, for example, it's like, okay, after this long, we know it's obvious these people, if like you have just a little bit of your brain left, you should not give a crap. If somebody's wearing one or not around you, and right? Mm-hmm. What, like, I mean, just that alone, the compliance of that is beyond me. Mm-hmm. They I care just, very much here if you're wearing a mask yeah. around, right? Them. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's, but I, I really feel like it just it's in pockets in certain like cities, you know, counties, and in, in some of these like you know blue states, and a lot of most of these states are actually red. It's just these little little hotbeds of these people that dictate everything. And like we were saying earlier, we just a lot of people on our side are just like, you know, whatever, I just want to be left alone and just go do my shopping and comply. But they don't realize in like the whole scheme. Right. Of so, but so, yeah. so, the, so the fight though, isn't just to get back to normal. It's actually to get back to real constitutional principles is, yes. is, is mm-hmm. I guess more. My point is like, we can't just say, well, we want to go back to normal. No, that's, that's not enough now. We know how far you guys will go. We're going way back. No, exactly. You know? Exactly. Because they always trick you anyway. They pretend, you know, so then they, mm-hmm. they get like, you know, they go dormant a bit and then, you know, they regroup. Like now's yes. the time for full on uh, a, a full onslaught for school choice. Right. Yes. No, it's it's not enough that you, we don't do remote learning ever, ever again. It's not enough that my kid doesn't have to wear a mask anymore in school. I'm sorry. I won't. A hundred percent school choice. It's not enough that you get rid of your goofy grading policies or that you reinstitute AP courses once you got rid of them. That is not enough. No, I want complete 100% school choice. That is what I want. And that needs to be our push, right? We can't just stop because they went back to like 10 years ago. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. They tell you that there's going to be no more Zoom and no more masks. And everybody's like, oh, that's refreshing. But then you forget about all the other crap they've taken away before they implemented all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's definitely one of those things where it's a never-ending fight and it's constant. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's the I think, the tiresome part of it. But I think to see the progress that's being made, the people that are coming together, and, and like I said, you guys are really, you know, doing your best to get people out there and get them into those places where you can get those policies back in place that makes everything just more successful society. I think it's a great thing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was uh, – Really good getting to sit down and chat with you guys today. I uh, appreciate you taking times out of your busy schedule. I know it's the end of the week. You guys got kids. School's going on. We're right at the start of the Christmas break season. And uh, I want you guys to be able to tell our listening audience where they could find you guys either on social media, websites, or anything like that. So maybe we get some interactions with you guys and you can get some more people mobilized out there. Sure. Our website is breakthrough-ideas.com and our podcast in the spotlight is on, it's on our website. It's on Spotify. It's on um, 
uh, iTunes. It's on Apple Podcasts, and it's also on our local radio station, uh, AM560 is the Salem station oh, nice. uh, in Chicago. So nice. amazing. It's on their podcast. Yeah, we'll be, great- we'll be live linking the podcast and, and the website in our show description today. And, uh, you know, you. hopefully we'll get you guys back at some point in the future, and we'll sit down and talk a little bit more about some hopefully positive changes we're continuing to make in the community. Jeannie and Kathleen of Breakthrough Ideas, thanks for joining us on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. Longy but goody? This is going to be a long one. Great guest today, though. Yeah, amazing guest. Bringing everybody everything they need to be informed about those America First candidates and groups working on their behalf. You know what else? You can listen to the Steak for Breakfast podcast on all downloadable podcasting platforms. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcasts, FM Player, and now iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review. And don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds. Obviously, our guests. It's great to have Bobby Python back. He is a uh, trove of information. Yep. And pretty based. Uh, it was nice getting to know John Gibbs running in Michigan 3. And we'll be very happy to have him back in the future. And, of course, Janine and Kathleen with Breakthrough Ideas. I like their podcast. I like their motivation. And, and moving forward, I'd like to see them continue to uh, hammer it home at the uh, school levels and the municipal levels and the township levels a little bit, like they're doing out there in Illinois. Ladies and gentlemen, making small businesses great again is the best way to get through this holiday season. And if you want to do that on a good night's sleep, Mike Lindell's got everything you need at MyPillow.com. Over 600 items, largest sale of the season. We say 66% off, but everyone's seen the commercials where it's 78. The original MyPillow, originally like $900, it's down to $19.98. Use promo, use promo code STAKE at checkout. Get all of your Christmas gift needs taken care of. You get them at, there it is. MyPillow.com forward slash steak and via the telephone. Talk to a MyPillow representative about sleepwear or election fraud at 1-800-658-8045. Odyssey. Noah's headphones are awesome. I'm always jealous. Yep. And they are the top tier of ear gear. He literally ignores me because the sound in them is so angelic. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. Odyssey.com. Check it out. Money well spent. Stay Ready Gear and Stay Ready Gear holsters. They melt plastic into things that you like. Dump trays. Cup coasters. Conceal weapon carriers. Holsters. They're delicious. Put Donald Trump making the kissy face on it and then put it in your bestie stocking this Christmas. StayReadyGear.com. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. I need a tourniquet case that has Donald Trump hugging the flag. That's my that's my wallpaper. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want one of those, too. This this bad boy right here. It's my favy. Yep. Man rubs. Also a favy. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm a little perplexed for this Christmas dinner season. I'm making baked ziti because I'm Italian. Yeah. We're going to have baked ziti. I don't know if I could. Maybe, maybe I'll just uh, sprinkle a little man rubs. On the ground beef that I'm going to put into it, yeah, I get behind that. Yeah, well, I'm going to bring you some leftovers, so I was you better about to say you better fucking get some leftovers. There you go. Don't mistreat your meat. Manrubs.com, Facebook, and Instagram. Everybody wants a gun for Christmas. 
And if you've already got a few, buy another and then some ammo to go along with it. I have never gotten a gun for Christmas. Neither have I. That's fucking weird. I bought myself one once. Well, I mean, that doesn't count. True story. West Coast Survival Arms. Go talk to Mike. He's via the telephone at 619-870-6992. His website is easy to navigate and newly redesigned at westcoastsurvivalarms.com. And you can talk to him on Facebook Messenger. First responders, we love you. We know you're working hard. Stay safe this holiday season. Grab all your gear at Mediocre Medic. Off-duty gear like t-shirts, sweatshirts, flip-flops, and fanny packs, and those stickers and patches while you're on duty. MediocreMedic.com. Check out their IG. You're welcome. And last but not least, Dump Box, home of the Zero Fucks Duck. Grinch Duck's coming out. If you want it, I'm going to put one up in our stories either today or tomorrow so you can see what's going down uh, this weekend. Go hit up Mark. Go waste some money. Spoil your friends. Facebook, Instagram, DumpBox.us. Upcoming shows. We're coming back on Tuesday. Becky Lexit's going to guest host, and we're going to have an interview. Circling back, Mr. Seth Keschel. Next Friday, we're going to do a little holiday show. Uh, it's like a Christmas special. If you watch South Park, you know what I'm talking about. Just way less weed. The following week, on Tuesday, the 28th, Andrew McCarthy running in New York 10, and Bianca Garcia, spoiler that's who Bobby Python was talking about in the show today. She announced her candidacy to run in Texas 11 this week. She's going to join us. Nice. Yep. Shows in the new year. On the 4th of January, Patrick Witt running in Georgia 10. And Casey Wardinsky just announced Alabama 5, retired Special Forces. He's going to be joining us. America First candidates right there. Speaking of America First candidates, on the 7th of January, Bradley Lanning running in Pennsylvania 1. And Alex Phillips, who is the owner of American Patriotic Festivals, traveling around the country, getting patriots involved, groundwork, grassroots, getting involved in elections and stuff like that. He's going to come and talk to us just about what his uh, whole event thing is going on. Kelly Cooper from Arizona 11 will be joining us on the 11th of January. Amanda Milius is circling back on the 14th. And then on the 18th, it's episode 100. Nick Knorr and Geisha will be joining us. Probably a couple special guests as well. Friends of the week. Well, Let's Go Brenda is almost done, so follow Let's Go Brenda too. Mm. It's already shadow banned. The Duke of Memes, that Southern dude who I passed on some dates. He reached out yesterday. You know, he, he had a story. I showed you guys. What's mm-hmm. your favorite podcast? He likes steak for breakfast. He wants to come guest host with us, and he'll be doing it in January. Yes. It's going to be fun. One, one of the official meme team memers will be joining us to guest host. We got Man of America, Snack Nicholson 2.0. Anybody else? Who was, who was hitting it up this week? Anybody good? See anybody good out there? No accounts that are good? None? I've been so shadow banned. That's too, fine. And I, we always got pubertos. You mentioned mm. the best ones already. Excellent. Guys, thanks to remember between now and next week, do your own research. You heard a lot of people that do their own research today, including the three of us, but more importantly, all of our guests. Start a podcast. Super easy. Takes no work, less research, and absolutely yeah. no money. And it'll be high quality just like this one. And let's see what happens after that. This has been episode 91 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Special thanks to all of our guests joining us today. And on behalf of the pod team, we'll be back on uh, Tuesday with Seth Keschel and Becky Lexit. I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Have a fantastical weekend. Antoinette? Bye, guys. Love you and have a beautiful weekend. You as well, dear. Thanks for listening. And take care. Come down from the fire escape. Don't slip and please don't fall.
going to be introducing to the public, and, and we have legislators who are going to help us with this, um, a new piece of legislation for the upcoming legislative session called Stop Wrongs Against Our Kids and Employees Act, the Stop Woke Act. And it's something that... Nah. Who's got it on the podium? Yeah. And this will do a number of things that are very important. One, it will put into statute uh, the Department of Education's prohibition on CRT in K through 12 schools. No taxpayer dollars should be used to teach our kids to hate our country or to hate each other. Regime of oh, criminals. Me Sorry yeah. about that. Hold on. I'm going to timestamp that one. Continue your thought. My yeah. dog just hit a button on the board. <laughs> that was pretty <laughs> funny. I was like, no. Your dog, your dog looks like a kangaroo. <laughs> uh, a little shit. I told you that button's really sensitive now. It's like you barely touch it and it goes off. It's like I got to move it or something. He knows what button to touch. <laughs> All right. Sorry. What were you saying? No, I was saying that um, – 